Hello, hello, everyone. I'm Stephen with the Everything in All podcast. It's probably the name's going to change, just because I don't feel like that represents initially what it's about. That's just the band name that I have. Uh, there's a deeper story, <laughs> but more directly, this podcast is essentially about the opportunity we have as people to grow and to connect and mm. to actually make something fulfilling of our lives. Um, music's my main thing. Everyone has their own main thing. Uh, but even one question around in my head these days is like, maybe there's something deeper than just art or just pouring yourself to one thing. It's especially important for that to be grounded in human connection. Mm. Um, and so today I have on Peter, can you pronounce your last name for me? I'm so sorry. Ilechko. 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 So Peter is a really worldwide global traveler, uh, deeply into the martial art of capoeira. Uh, and he has written a book, almost a memoir of sorts, but documenting his journey from Berkeley to Brazil right. uh, in a capoeira right. group, uh, riding bikes. <laughs> bikes the whole entire way, a whole year-long journey, um, documenting what that's like to really run a very unconventional experiment. And I think that's what really stood out to me is like, because oh. everyone's living their life however they're choosing to live. Uh, but to actually, we all have the considerations of, oh, what if, what if, what if, what right. if I drop everything to go pursue this crazy thing? Uh, not everyone does that. Right. Peter here <laughs> has run that experiment. And so what I'm trying to, I guess, get out of this conversation is share what your results have been. And from right. reading the book, I think they're very promising. Uh, and I see, <laughs> I, see, I see so much uh, wisdom, humor, insight, um, and so many lessons mm. in the book. So I, I just described, yes, Berkeley to Brazil, but can you give people a more picturesque version of what exactly you did and what this book is really about for you. Man, that's like a, that's a super, super <laughs> nice introduction. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's super fun to be here at the university with you and I'm, I'm really enjoying to hear and to see how much you're getting out of reading this book. And um, that's just really, really, really fun for me. I think it's one of the more unexpected results for myself mm -hmm. out of reading this book that it seems to really be touching some people in certain ways um, you know I've, I've gotten feedback from guys just like you that would say things like you know this this book is hitting me just at the right time and it's having mm -hmm. me ask all the right questions you know that feels really really nice that's like, that's a great honor as a writer to be able to um, to be allowed to tap into that a little bit mm -hmm. and so I mean, you started out with this huge intro of like <laughs> wisdom, and you know, wisdom is something that Master Accordion has. I don't have any wisdom. I'm just like a dude that's been to a couple of countries here and there. But um, you know, when we talk about this book, I just really have to acknowledge that none of this would ever happen without um, the audacity of of this leader that we all mm -hmm. chose for this year. And can you um, describe the yeah. man, the myth, the legend? I mean, Master Cordillon is a is a is a Renaissance man. You know, he's he's born in Salvador Bahia. You know, he's uh, 75 years old right now. He brought Capoeira to the West Coast in the United States. You know, 40 odd years ago. I mean, when I was born, he showed up in San Francisco. 
in you know his little bell-bottom pants and <laughs> started teaching capoeira to people and just became this legendary person. I mean, he has a Mestre Accordion Day in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. There's an actual day that celebrates his existence. He's like the Mozart of Berkeley, <laughs> except you know he's got lethal kicks, and so. But he's multifaceted, right? Like he's he can an, play all these instruments. He he's an he's an incredible, charismatic, and multifaceted Renaissance mm -hmm. man. That's the best I can describe it. He he will do so many different things, and he will connect all of them together. And um, <clears throat> this hugely complex man decided for his 70th birthday to ride his bicycle back to Brazil. He's completely out of his mind. A 70-year-old man. Crazy. And his wife was like, <laughs> I'm not letting you go by, by yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm going with you. Mm -hmm. And she was, you know, she, she doesn't divulge this, but she was in her late 50s, I'm assuming. And this is just such an extraordinary act of courage mm -hmm. and valor at, you know, at any age. But then leading a ragtag bunch of people who most of them have never really seen adventure or been camping or ridden their bike for more than four hours at a time. Yeah, yeah. And so to lead a group of people into freaking failed states like Honduras mm -hmm. is pretty audacious. And without that, none of this would have happened, and this would have happened, and I wouldn't have had the opportunity to write all of these awesome things. Mm -hmm. And so I'm deeply grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, whatever wisdom, little pearls of wisdom that are in there, I kind of attribute a lot to other people who have influenced me. Mm -hmm. And then all the silly stuff is my own stuff. <laughs> 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 the book has quite a great level of humor, and I felt like it was actually through the humor that I really understood you, because in all the slight, That's cool. all the slight um, nuances that we all have, humor really tends to bring that out okay. uh, and see the acceptance, or at least for me, see the acceptance amongst people and where the level is within right. them. Right. Uh, but so, I want to sort of get into like what makes a man decide to do this, right? And then maybe a little bit of background, right? Why you would do this and your upbringing and the way your mom has influenced things and, right. and things like that, and then eventually how <laughs> you make these strange career transitions. Like how did you get to be a project manager at Microsoft and then right. to do this? You know, a friend of mine who I worked with at Microsoft just left a review on Amazon, and he said, "Oh, you know, Peter wrote this amazing book. He's a career man." you know, on an adventure hiatus, or rather he's an adventurer who did a quick career break in between. And I think that was a, a pretty good description of, mm. of what my life sort of had, how my life sort of developed in the last 10 years or so. But <clears throat> I truly, I actually believe that there's kind of a biological component to this. I think there's mm. this chink, I talk about this in the book, there's this chink called Sadir D4, where you know, which influences your novelty-seeking behavior. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the more of this cluster expresses within you, the more you are interested in new things yeah. and other things and things of a foreign nature, where other people who do not have this expression as much are perfectly content with whatever is there in front mm -hmm. of them, what they have. Neither of them, and I, I go to pains to point this out, neither of which is more valid in our existence. Yeah, and that, that's a huge point, because that know? takes the judgment, any sort of judgment out of it. Because I think this is the thing, uh, I feel, you know, I, this is my adopted country here, I really mm -hmm. enjoy living in the United States of America. A lot of people in the United States sort of bash their own country a little bit, because, you know, we f they feel it's too young, it doesn't have enough experience, and it's sort of throwing its weight around too much in the world. But, 
I wouldn't take it so hard on on the country, you know, mm. especially okay. you know, because if once Americans start traveling, they'll see that other countries are quite as racist, if not much, much more so mm -hmm. than the United States, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So totally. there's a lot of different nuances that you'll find. The Germans drive their cars, you know, 200 kilometers an hour on the autobahn, yet they complain about the um, um, mileage, the consumption of the cars in the United States completely disregarding the fact that if you drive that fast, you burn twice as much gas mm -hmm. as when you're driving 55 miles yeah. an hour. So kind of in a way, all these like super efficient cars in Germany are probably using just as much gas as the gas goes mm -hmm. over here because mm -hmm. people don't drive as fast. Mm -hmm. And so everybody has these sort of holy cows that nobody's allowed to touch and kill. Blind spots. And blind spots. And, and <clears throat> I think it's a nice blind spot f for folks in the United States to sort of go into other countries and then see, oh, oh this is really silly what we're doing. <laughs> but that's really silly what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah it's all just And silly. then there's all of these different things that happen. In the end, you're like, we're kind of all the same. Mm -hmm. We're mm -hmm. all trying to just sort of exist. We're all trying to Meet make needs. something out yeah. of this civilization. You know, you, you mentioned Dr. Ryan. Dr. Ryan wrote the last book that he wrote is called Civilized, Civilized to Death. To death. Yeah. I think he, you know, one of the things that I look at civilization is, is that we're babies. We're civilizational babies. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. humans are... I'm glad you're bringing this point up. Justified, it, justifiably stupid at civilization. Mm -hmm. Because how could we know any better? We'll, we've been doing this for 10,000 years, 5,000 uh, yeah, years, yeah, really 2,000 years. And agriculture is a blip and, in terms right? of our history. Yeah. And so we have all of this like biological baggage that we're carrying with us and mm -hmm. we're trying to make something civilized out of it. Well, it's, it's, it's almost an attempt to extrapolate the human connection at scale, right? Because right. that's sort of the problem is that when we're in a close tribe, when you are able to be around someone enough to have something resembling an intimate connection right. of understanding, you take their perspective into account. But when it's millions of people, you can't even imagine across the other side of the world where you can't imagine it seems like such a small, right. insignificant thing emotionally. Uh, it is such an it is such an awesome and interesting thing to talk about. You know, there's these systems that we build in our I, I believe in our society in order to deal with the increasing complexity. You know, when mm -hmm. when we lived in a tribe of 150 people, that rock god or that you know tree that was a god and mm -hmm. took care of the weather, that was enough. But then when we got into city-states, we needed bigger religions, and then so these you know, old religions were born, and then it all became you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. Well, they, they became the thing that actually right? kept it cohesive enough to keep growing. But so today, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but it just sort of is in my head, mm -hmm. I have this feeling that Facebook and Google and Amazon are actually these modern means of creating more cohesiveness within our society, mm. allowing us to manage this much, much larger yeah. society, regardless of whether we agree with it or not, mm -hmm. right? It seems like these, these, possibly these attempts to influence elections on Facebook could actually be a manifestation of an organizational principle of the world in this incredibly complex world that we live in where billions of people can talk to each other at the same time. And so it becomes an adaptive mechanism to survive to organize. in this modern world. Yeah.
to like not create anarchy, chaos. Yeah, to not spill into too much chaos because <laughs> it's constantly a battle. <laughs> I love being here, man. Nice. Oh yeah, thank you for being here. Cool. Um, but no, because I, 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 I'm <laughs> super curious. How does? How did we? Go? I mean, just as a little bit of a background. A little bit of a background. You've been anywhere and everywhere, in, in, in a lot of ways. And at, you, at 19, documented in the book. You mm. left Austria yeah. to travel, mm. and your mother has this background. Your parents have this background of doing the same thing. Right? Uh, can you elaborate that on that a little more? Because I'm at a certain age in my life where, uh, for a number of years now, I've wanted to do humanitarian aid projects or something right. of the sort. And right. you mentioned in the book all of this being motivated for intellectual reasons, for spiritual reasons, and for these social projects. Right. Um, and I line up with that really well. So I'd love for you to just parse a little bit of that out because it seems foundational to like this impulse. Right. For B2B, right? <laughs> right, totally. Um, so my parents are, they're like this wonderful dichotomy where they sort of build a very stable and secure life for themselves and for, for my brother and I. But at the same time, use that stability and the way they organize their life to then say, oh, we want to go see Mexico for four weeks and we're going to just road trip around the place. Mm -hmm. Or we want to go see all of the national parks on the West Coast. And then they wanted to go trekking in Nepal and all of these kind of different places. And so instead of having a nice new car every three to five years, my parents just squirreled their money away to go do this kind of stuff. Mm. And um, <clears throat> so obviously, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, you're riding your bicycle around town all the time because your parents don't want to drive a car mm -hmm. and you don't need a car in the center of Vienna. And then every few years, you're taking off to go to this exotic place or that exotic place and your friends are all like looking at you like what the fuck are you doing? What, are you, what is going on? What you going to Mexico? What is this insane picture of you in front of a freaking 5,000 meters tall mm -hmm. volcano? Mm -hmm. And so that is most definitely sort of like a thing that, that sets you on a certain path in yeah. your life. And then I think on top of that I just have this sort of innate drive to wanting to experience new stuff and learn new stuff mm. and, and grow through all of this new stuff and I really for the most part of my life I never really did this very consciously it was just like oh this looks great mm. Mm -hmm. let me go and try that <laughs> well you were just and following I'll, your excitement and I'll, and I'll just go to Finland yeah. for a year and, yeah. and you know freeze my balls off <laughs> and come back and then I'm hanging out in Austria and I'm like okay I need to go do something and so the the reason why I went to Australia was because I wanted to go to university. I wanted to study in English. I didn't mm -hmm. want to study in German. I wanted to have a degree, something made in England, in English. I kind of wanted to go to the United States, but it was very expensive. And so I found this jewel of Australia in the, in the 90s where the university degree that was virtually the same as the one in the United mm -hmm. States mm -hmm. cost like 10% of it. You know, instead of paying, yeah. instead of forty grand at California University, the same degree at QUT in Brisbane was literally five thousand US a year, and so obviously, you know, that's where I went. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it was Australia, which was awesome. There was mm -hmm. like all these insane creatures that could kill you just by, <laughs> just by looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on the other side of the world, and it was as far away as possible as I could go from Austria, mm -hmm. which was perfect exactly what you want. And so then I just ended up in Australia and from there I just would go to Asia on little trips during the university years and, and just pop around and in the end you know I really enjoyed 
Asian food, Asian friends, and it was it was this sort of confluence of being an international student at a university in Australia where most of the international students are Asians. There were like 3,000 international students okay. and 10 of them were white. Mm-hmm. And like three of them were all the entire degree, which was my friend, my Lisa and I, and, and mm-hmm. another couple of people. And so we sort of automatically gravitated towards Asia. And so when my degree was over, I was like, I've always been interested in Japan. Let me just go to Japan. Mm-hmm. And everybody just saw that go to Japan for the girls. But I actually went to Japan just to experience <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, for all of Japan, yeah. And um, that was probably one of the most insane decisions of my life. I literally went to Japan with 50 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket. That's all I had. I had like a friend who let me stay at his house for mm-hmm. a little bit. And we went out on the first night in Roppongi. I don't know if any of your listeners know you. You better know Roppongi. If you don't know Roppongi, <laughs> you should go to Japan. You probably find the same stuff in Saigon, though. I <laughs> um, so I went to Roppongi, and there's all these foreign bars, all these bars mm-hmm. for foreigners, for gaijins, and went to one of them. And somebody asked me if I wanted a job. Like um, I was, I just sat down, had a drink, and they were like, "So, do you want to work here?" And I was like, "Yes, I do." <laughs> and so that I started. <laughs> so I started working there and bartending, and I ended up being in Tokyo for two years. And <clears throat> You know, one of the silliest things that happened during that, not silly, but like interesting things that happened during that time was in my first year in Japan, I went back home to Austria to get a new passport. And I went home and I met with my family and all of my friends. And if you live somewhere else and you know going home to see your family is not a vacation, you're kind of just in more meetings than if you're at work. You're just Mm -hmm. going, like you have six or eight different appointments every day where you gotta like meet your friend or your family yeah, or yeah. your cousin, your uncle and so <clears throat> I met one of my friends Rena and, and I told him I was like, you know, I don't think I'm gonna come back I think I'm just gonna keep going mm-hmm. and to me that was sort of my first realization of that happening at that time which was four years after I left also I would have been like 25 or something like that mm-hmm. and he looked at me and was like, dude, I knew that when you were 15 <laughs> when we're sitting in class in next to each other, and I was like, shows how you know self-conscious yeah. I am. So, so um, conscious of myself. Yeah. So, but this is an interesting. It sort of speaks again to what you were sort of asking mm-hmm. about, like how does this happen? Like, if you're somebody who's always been driven, then that's then that's just what's going to happen, and it just depends on like, you know, your balls and to some extent your resources but not really because you can go with nothing mm-hmm. well you went to you japan can, with 50 bucks and you can go with very little mm-hmm. you know you especially if you're backpacking in southeast asia or in central america you can do this for like 10 bucks a day if you want to ride your bicycle it's like that it's even cheaper mm-hmm. because you don't have you can camp out all everywhere yeah. so it's just a matter of being willing to rough it yeah and, and so cost you know, gets almost used as an excuse in that awareness, right? Because like to not do it, say, oh, it's too expensive to go do world travel, this and that and the other. Like certainly some places are like that. But like you're saying, there's other opportunities. Who was it that I just talked to the other day? It was just a couple of days ago. We were talking about traveling and, and, oh, I think it was my friend Jeremy. And he said, oh, and then you go there and then you see all of the Israelis that just did their year in the military. And it's so true. When you go backpacking, when you go traveling, you'll meet a bunch of Europeans. You meet an extraordinary amount of Israelis who just did their two-year military, I think it's two years military service. And mm-hmm. then after that, all of them need to like blow off steam so they just go travel for six months mm-hmm. or a year. 
and it's just part of the culture it's like a gap year yeah and you meet a bunch of australians on their walkabout where they're like leaving australia for the first time and it's like eye-opening to them mm -hmm. because it's a it's sort of an insular place far away from the rest of the world yeah, as well totally isolated which has really profited, in my opinion, of the internet, where before it was really isolated. And mm -hmm. since the internet is, I think it's sort of become closer a little bit. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't want to, I'm, I'm not judging any Australians. I love you guys, especially you, Shelko. You're going to give me shit for this, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just my humble opinion. And um, <clears throat> so I think that's just, you, you go travel, you meet all of these people. Mm -hmm you don't meet a lot of folks from the United States. And I don't think it's because people here don't have this impulse to want to go see stuff. I think that the United States has done a very good system, mm -hmm. job of creating a system that motivates people to go and make money, mm -hmm. to you know, be professionally successful in some kind of way, shape, or form, and to just also freaking just survive. Mm -hmm. Like in Israel, you can go fuck off for a year because you know you're gonna have health insurance when you come back. Yeah. You know, you can go stay at your parents' house and you'll get a little bakshish from the government and you have health insurance and then you can go and figure things out. Mm -hmm. the United States, you come back home and you're broke, you're fucking out on the street and you're yeah. broke. Yeah. And you don't have any health insurance and you know, if you kinda of do scrounge it about somehow, it's difficult. So Well it's this looming thing over your shoulder twenty four seven. Plus, if you get a degree, and a lot of times people who are, you know, interested in, in, in experiencing foreign cultures are people who actually went to university. But now you went to university, you got $150,000 in debt, mm -hmm. and you have to start That's paying that thing. off. Yeah. Yeah. And so these are all things that make it much, much easier to be a cool traveler when you're from Europe mm -hmm. or from Israel or from Australia or from Japan or Asian countries that are starting to travel more. It's all much, much more easier to organize this and to do this than from the United States. But in the United States, there's much more of a willingness, I think, for people to accept if you do something crazy like this. Mm -hmm. You know, when you do something like this in Europe and then you go to a job interview afterwards, people might look at you like, so you just took three years off to ride your bicycle and to write this book. But the only thing that shows that to me, in terms of your career and your choices, is that you will just tell me to fuck off at yeah. any moment in time to go follow some kind of dream project mm -hmm. that you have and you're not a reliable employee and I'm gonna go find somebody who's reliable yeah. whereas in the United States it'll be like you did what <laughs> this is amazing dude you gotta come in for an interview because I just want to talk to you about this uh -huh. and so then you already have your foot in the door and, and your career can continue and so there's this willingness for people to sort of accept this kind of stuff and to see that there's actually growth in this mm -hmm. that even a company can profit from, you know, if they Be choose well, to. Because, yeah, because you're bringing broader perspectives. Right. And so every country is different in these things, and I think everybody is sort of differently set up to choose it and to go for it and not to go for it. And, you know, a lot of people just want to have kids. That's an adventure, too. That's, that's its own form of travel. <laughs> Communication right. is its own form right. of travel. Um, gonna take a quick break because I do need to plug in the computer to charge. Do it, man. Do it. Now, I mean, you keep bringing up all these people, especially within the Capoeira community. One thing that really stood out to me in the book was the level of camaraderie and community within this subculture. Right. Uh, it almost. Right. If any, I don't know if anything tops it. At least in terms of I've heard of it, it may parallel it. But like, can you elaborate on that a little bit? And like, 
what, what, what brings people so close together in this art form? Uh, and w what kind of people are attracted to it and why? And maybe just tell a little bit what is capoeira, too. Okay. So first of all, I, I, I do want to be careful because I think that there is a lot of different subculture in the sense of they're not submissive to something else, but mm -hmm. a part of a larger culture and they're just sort of doing their own thing. Mm -hmm. And capoeira is one of them and there might be um, CrossFit. I think CrossFit is a very strong mm -hmm. community as well where people totally. experience like a real bond with each other and they're like, let's go train, let's do this. Um, there's differences between all of these, but I do want to be careful in saying it's not just capoeira that creates this kind of sense of community. Totally. I think people totally. tend to find that in whatever community they go to. But capoeira um, originated in Brazil during the time of slavery. And it was enslaved Africans who um, sort of developed and furthered and evolved um, various existing traditions that were deeply rooted in Africa and came over to Brazil. And then there's this mix and this um, mashing that goes on in Brazilian culture that you can actually see in the faces of the people because mm -hmm. Brazil is much more mixed and diverse than the United States is, yeah. for example. Not in the sense, the United States is more diverse, like from much, many different parts of the world mm -hmm. that came here, but it's not as mixed up internally. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a pretty good sort of representation of Brazilian history and culture as well. And I think Brazil, this is the reason for, I don't know this, I, you, know, you know, all the masters know this much better than I do. <clears throat> to some extent, capoeira can be a result of this of this mixing and mashing, because there's mm -hmm. other cultures around the world where capoeira could have come into being, anywhere in the Caribbean or in the United States, but it happened in Brazil. And so it was a form and a tool of liberation for these uh, enslaved Africans in Brazil. And you know, we're not saying today that we believe that people with no weapons we're fighting dudes in armor and muskets and swords and whips and all kinds of, you know, accoutrements of war. But <clears throat> this tool, this way of being, did enable people to liberate themselves in their minds to understand that they could organize themselves into something that was larger than themselves, mm -hmm. where they could believe that I can actually exist as a group outside of this thing where I am an enslaved being yeah, suppresses and thing. I can run into the jungle and I can be a part of this much larger group of free people that organize themselves. And having a way to like commune with one another while learning how to defend yourself. Right. Like it's all these things wrapped into one. <laughs> and, and so I think that this is very true, man. This is very true. And I think this is why today, you know, there's, there's this essence that has come down through the generations in Capoeira, even though how, as Capoeira has evolved, physically as a, at an incredible speed and mm -hmm. level and direction that nobody could have imagined a hundred years ago. That camaraderie, that essence, that group, that cohesion is still there. And I think it is because of that root where people said, look, this is all we have. Mm -hmm. This group of people that is practicing this art to better ourselves, to strengthen ourselves, to discipline ourselves, to look for freedom from the system or within mm -hmm. ourselves this essence has come down through the eons from master to master to master and folks in in you know this is a this is a 
a path that has to be tread on carefully mm -hmm. because folks who are practicing this art who are of Brazilian, of African-Brazilian descent feel a much deeper connection to, of truth to this than somebody like myself mm -hmm. who grew up in Austria who really has no experience at all of oppression. Yeah. None whatsoever, especially being a male mm -hmm. from a sort of very egalitarian society where, you know, I'm, I'm just one of the guys. Yeah. And so, <clears throat> to me, this gift of liberation is a different one than somebody who comes from a lineage who's suffered from oppression mm -hmm. at the hands of others. Yeah, it's, it definitely seems like you a know? different sort of relationship to it. And um, the beauty of Capoeira is, is that it offers equal measures to everybody who gives it a good shot. Equal measures of liberation, where each one of us can approach it and find the things in it that will truly mm -hmm. set us free. Yeah. The things we individually need, and it pops out it, some way. It's sort of this organic flow, which is funny that I'm saying this right now, because Mestre Birama has created a method of teaching that he calls organic flow, of, of discovering yourself and your freedom and what you want and what it is that you're really interested in. And when you start singing the songs and learning the songs, and suddenly you personally find that you really like the powerful, strong fighting songs, mm -hmm then that will tell you something about yourself. Mm -hmm. And if somebody else finds the really sort of melancholy songs about the past meaningful, then that will tell us something. Mm -hmm. And if you're always smiling in the harder, you know, the harder will probably teach us that there's also seriousness in life. Mm -hmm. And vice versa, if we're too serious and mean in the harder, maybe life will show us some humor and will put us on our butt every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> and so in my own imperfect, you know, very short, experience in capoeira this is what i see of the essence of it and the beauty of it mm -hmm. which everybody can experience and in their own unique way because one of what you're just touching on and one of the things you explicitly say more in the book is that everyone practices it to some extent in their own way and their personality actually actually emerges right. in the moves they do right. and in the way they do it right so like not only are you coming to understand someone on a verbal level, like so maybe like what we're doing right now, but you're also understanding them on the physical, physical, um, mm. in really every other way, right? Because it's 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 a, it's a different sort of dynamic between oh, so all these different disciplines. That's such a beautiful thing that you're saying, and and it kicks off a, a thought in me that's related to my daughter Sophia, who's just just about to turn two, and she's starting to use a lot of words right now, but the interactions and the communication that we have is very non-verbal. Mm -hmm. It's just a bunch of grunts and points and body language. And yet you can do so much with it. <laughs> and yet yeah. we have a fully functioning relationship, my wife and my, my, my daughter and I. And so in a way, even though you say, you sort of, you, you say, oh, not just on a verbal, but also on a body language part, I would reverse that. And I would say that the body language part is actually the original way of communicating yeah. that we as humans and animals have. Yeah. And the harder just it brings that out. It's there, and it's supposed to be used there. And if there's one thing that um, Westerners, people who are part of Western culture in whatever country, shape, or form that is, can really use that liberating factor that Capoeira offers mm -hmm. to them to say, step out of the jacket that you have put yourself in in order to function within, within this world. Mm -hmm. 
be a little freer step into yourself move a little your body more. a bit move your body so a little much, yeah. bit you can't help but becoming more flexible if three times a week you're physically trying to become more flexible mm -hmm. your mind will follow and and that's a damn beautiful thing yeah yeah and i think this actually leads into this thing where i'm saying you have to choose the activity that you think will support who you want to be so I want you to elaborate, but then I want you to sort of parse out how do you go about doing that? How do you go about figuring that out? I think we all have like goals in our lives, right? Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, I, I want to be a Microsoft program manager so that, you know, if I'm there for 20 years, I can retire and have a nice house and, and live comfortably mm -hmm. for the rest of my life. Or, you know, I just want to work there for three years to save enough money so I can go ride my bike to Brazil and then come back and do something else. Yeah. And <clears throat> Each one of us can sort of approach this in a, in a different way. Um, what I think happens in the end is, is that... Mm, sorry. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> what I think happens in the end is, is that we have, to, we have to choose it. We have to be okay mm -hmm. with, with, with choosing that. Even though there may be doubt around it or uncertainty around it eventually right placing your balls in some basket <laughs> <laughs> right and I don't know you know you know I don't think I could have gone and and do the, did this journey if I would have had a family already yeah you know if I would yeah. have had a little girl already and most of the people that could have gone along they were kind of at that stage and while I was writing I didn't realize you know that that was the case i was wondering how come there's you know all these Why relatively young <laughs> people in capoeira instead of all these professors and contramesters mm -hmm. who should be the the sort of disciples that are going with master cordion on his final defining voyage mm -hmm. in capoeira and life and the world and um you know that choice i mean the most beautiful quote i think that's happening in the book is is that you know, the guy says, you know, one day life will pass you by like a movie. Make mm -hmm. sure it's worth watching. Yeah. But that's different to everybody. Of course. And now if somebody wants to have a lot of money and be secure, then, you know, they can go in that direction and they can try to be that way. And they have to also accept that the consequences of that will be that they will be thinking about that a lot. They'll be thinking mm -hmm. about the security and the money a lot. And... I think everybody, every, every job will literally affect you very strongly. If you become a police officer, there's going to be a lot of good things that people are going to be doing as police officers. But there's also going to be a lot of ugly parts of the job that people probably don't talk about, that the public doesn't know about. And how will that affect us as a person, you know, in the long run? Mm -hmm. If I'm exposed to, you know, having to follow certain policies in a department for 20 years, do I believe those policies after 20 years because I've had to make do for 20 years or do I not believe them? Mm -hmm. And what kind of dichotomy does that create in and my is mind? Is there any awareness around it in the first place? And then if I've been busting balls for 20 years, I'm probably going to be a ball buster and then my family mm -hmm. might not be too happy about mm -hmm. that. And so you're really defined by what your daily habitual routine becomes. I think so. I think so. It, like, the job you're in becomes a certain mental box around what you're going to be able to envision yourself doing, or at least it can be, right? Well, but it's, it's, out of that, but. it's like the genius of the human system, right? The human system, like, 
you know, people are going to look at this podcast and be like, who the hell is this guy to think this stuff? But to some extent, I think that what makes us humans so extraordinary is that we have this ability to, to create systems in which we exist. Mm -hmm. And these existence actually make us successful. Like, we can actually solve problems today in this world that we could have never dreamed of solving 10 years ago, yeah. 50 years ago, yeah. 500 years ago. Of course. You know, it's, it's unbelievable the stuff that we can do today just because of this creative problem-solving skill that we have. And what we'll have. probably be able to do within the next hundred years is right? gonna even wipe all that. <laughs> it's gonna make all that look like child's It's gonna play. be crazy, yeah, right? Yeah. It's gonna be like exponential curve, mm -hmm. you know, Ray Kurzweil stuff. And so, is this something that we wanna limit? Like, when, when you say like, we put us in, ourselves into a box in order to, no, but this box is actually something that we create on a, and remake on a constant basis. Mm -hmm. And is that necessarily a bad thing? I don't know. Well, I don't, I don't even know if it's a matter of saying whether it's a good or bad thing, but one thing I, that's inherent to that process is that the things we use to solve the problems of yesterday are right. the exact things that cause the problems tomorrow, right. right? Like we make all this technology to have a certain kind of medical system and to have yeah, certain phones and have some, all these other good. privileges, yeah, and yet we end up with other issues downstream. True. And True. so. I mean, what I'm picking up from you isn't like necessarily the back to nature vibe, right? But like, of those sort of thinkers, they would argue that, well, shit, we should have stayed back <laughs> in hunter gatherer right. days, right? Because our our psyche evolved in that context right. to if we had those basic things met, especially the connection. I wonder if there's a tipping point there some somewhere in the past. Mm -hmm. If there is like actually like somewhere where we can point to and be like, damn, we should have gone in the other direction. And if you think about it, this is like a really fun mind experiment. I agree. Yeah, like, let's go for it. Where did the, where did, like, there's certain cultures that have certain pensions for certain things. Like, we always say, oh, the chairman's with their perfect technology, right? Mm -hmm. You give a chairman unlimited time and money, and he will build you something that will last forever. Engineering and marvel. And it will be perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. And the Russians with their math and their chess masters and all this stuff, mm -hmm. right? So there's, like, certain attributes. <laughs> there's, like, certain attributes that we you know, sort of give to cultures in mm -hmm. certain ways, positive ones, not just negative yeah. ones, right? Positive ones. Where did this come from? Why is there something between France and Poland where there's a group of people mm -hmm. that create beautiful technology whereas the French make great wine? And they don't, they are not known for making perfect, beautiful mm -hmm. technology. Mm -hmm. they, make, they make some cool stuff too, but they don't. And then there's the Poles in between and then there's the Russians, they do some awesome stuff, mm -hmm. right? And so there's like, why would that be? And like in my, in my own primitive analysis, I feel like for real that back in the day when in the Middle East there was the Fertile Crescent and people started to chill and hang out and start mm -hmm. little tribes, there were literally guys, there was like a mathematician, he was like, fuck this noise, I'm out. And he and he headed and he headed like northeast. He was like, dudes, I like logic. I'm going to Siberia, <laughs> right? I like logic, y'all, with like this hocus pocus with the trees and all this shit. I'm uh -huh. not down for it. I'm out. And he takes his woman. He goes up north, and he starts to try where math is big, where you know maybe Andrew Yang came mm -hmm. from that fucking mm -hmm. place, mm -hmm. you know. And so you, I, to some extent, I think maybe you can explain these proclivities that some places around the world have in this very sort of silly, primitive way. Well, I think it's, it's one input out of probably many inputs into that right. equation, right? And so one, some other things I can imagine is just the resources available in that environment, right. right? So like if you're 
in this in an area where there's not a lot of fruit, there's not a lot right. of other things. Right. You're going to adapt to other food. You're going to have a different sort of culture. You're going to value different things because you have different priorities and resources within that environment. Right. Also, I think there's maybe there's almost a little bit of <laughs> the need for differentiation, right? Like as right. individuals, we sort of find things that are maybe a little more unique and eccentric, and in some ways even double down on them to be like okay, this is how I'm unique from other people. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that process, but maybe that's also happening on a cultural level. And when you're talking about the accumulated generations after another, winemakers in France, right. novelists in Russia, you could also probably get some of that effect, I imagine. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, if the, if the world is, is sort of just an experiment in increasing complexity where we started in little tribes and then we got bigger, 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 mm -hmm. at some point whatever global government action might happen, probably when you know the aliens actually show up mm -hmm. or don't. Um, but will at that point, will we actually be capable of taking all of the goodness that all of us present in different ways and just put it all together in this beautiful mixed bouquet of, of delicious talent that everybody yeah. brings to the table? Instead of just constantly having these silly cockfights that we have mm -hmm. with each other, right? Um, Ego works, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's it's also tightly in, sort of interwoven with our evolution, with our existence. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't I don't think I want to go on on a public sort of um, forum and say, oh, you know, all this stuff is bad because of what it produces. Because everything that's bad has also produced good things. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's always double sided. It's always a matter. That's very from difficult. From perspective. And who knows if there? Do you think that there's aliens out there? Do I think there's aliens? Um, I'm looking at one, and I'm one, so <laughs> that's what I think people forget. Is like, I do have one. You know, we are aliens on this water yeah. rock flying through a yeah. with yeah. no understanding yeah. of why, yeah. how, or when, or yeah. what. <laughs> and then we take our game so seriously of surviving and getting on and then getting status. And I mean, what we were talking about with especially the Western world and this need for money and this drive for ambition, is that directed towards the right thing? Maybe it's not a matter of right and wrong, but in general, I think... Uh, do aliens exist? It's probably a lot more of us, dude. <laughs> I don't know, I mean. And I mean, this idea of, this idea of in increasing complexity, oh. uh, if you try to envision what sort of routes that could go down, and maybe it will end up going down many, but could anything be more complex than creating machines that can think and process in ways that we, we would never be able to understand? Right? Like, until we just... Right, passing on, and we're, and we're and we're drifting away from the <laughs> the oh, book. But that's totally that's cool. cool. That's totally cool, um, because I think it touches on a lot of the same things. But this idea of increasing complexity. Hmm. I mean, are you familiar with Terence McKenna at all? So he, he's he's sort of a, uh, or he's one of the more famous psychonauts okay. over the past maybe. 40 years, okay. um, really, really intelligent guy, really out there guy <laughs> in a lot of ways, but he had this idea that reality is like an order, organism evolving, uh, mm -hmm. and it's evolving to a greater increase in complexity and novelty, uh, and that's sort of this idea too with like the idea of the singularity, right? Is that coming right. to a tipping point where it just skyrockets beyond anything we could comprehend. Right. Now at the same time, we've been doing that charade. <laughs> over the past 10,000 years, especially. Since but it's different though, right? I mean, we have these technological means now that we didn't have before, right? I mean, yeah. we, can, we can just, we can build incredible things and, you know, any, uh, yeah, if, if you've read science fiction growing up and 
you know, I've read science fictions in the 80s and the 90s. And I see a lot of the stuff that I read in science fiction books sort of coming true. Coming true in a lot of ways, yeah. And so I, I sort of believe that whatever we imagine, we will eventually build. Mm-hmm. And so I do think that... And more. <laughs> right. I do think that if, if, if we survive certain tipping points as a race, I think that there is no doubt that the human race will spread mm-hmm. far beyond the solar system. Mm-hmm. But talk I don't know a, if we're gonna make it. Talk about a bike ride, <laughs> right? You'd have to like pedal. the next. Some, there's like frontier. five of us in the reactor on the bottom. But like all these. Take the recumbent. Right. <laughs> no, no, fucking recumbent. The fucking recumbent. Take my fucking bike. And you only got that right because. Like, oh, because of the French people. No, because of the French people in Thailand. Okay. I was in Thailand. I was couch surfing in Thailand in Bangkok. Uh-huh. And what year was this? This was oh. This was 2000. Eight. This okay. was 2008. I was couch surfing in Thailand, and um, these this French couple came and surfed the same the same kind. Like they, we were all at the same apartment, mm-hmm. and um, they were riding recumbents around the world, and they were swearing by it. And they showed me these pictures of you know these salt flats in Bolivia that are four thousand like twelve thousand feet high, and it had just rained and so there was like this water layer on top of this white mm-hmm. salt flat and so when you looked out it was like heaven on the top okay. and on the bottom yeah, yeah. and you were basically riding on on heaven mm-hmm. and it's just the most incredible shots and so this was burning this was burned into my consciousness man and so when this trip came out i was just like i'm getting a recumbent and this fucking recumbent you couldn't buy the recumbent that these guys had like mm-hmm. their recumbent was sort of like a, a mountain bike affair. It had like a okay. strong frame and mm-hmm. thick tires. And the only recumbent that I could find that actually looked like theirs, which wasn't like a small front wheel or like really low to the ground, mm-hmm. was the one that I got, which was much more of like a race, racing bike. Mm-hmm. It had like skinny wheels. Mm-hmm. So the idea to ride it even past Los Angeles was ludicrous. That was never going to happen. Because as soon as you go to like a place with potholes, mm-hmm. You know, True. you're fucked in that bike. You just you can't like, go you on. Have very little mobility. Like one thing you talk is you can't hop a curb. You can't, you can't hop a <laughs> But <laughs> I didn't know those yeah, things. Yeah. You know, but I mean, this is like at the same time as you know, we're sort of admiring a person that's throwing everything away to go travel to 50 countries mm-hmm. and live all around the world. It's the same insanity that leads to me thinking it's a good idea to get this damn bike to ride my bicycle to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm yeah, fuck it. I'm gonna try it. It's going to be great. Yeah, I can do it. I can ride a bike. But within that is the willingness and the self-understanding that no matter what happens, I'm going to figure it out. Right. Right? Like, it's, it's, right. It's, you, know, you talked especially about... But I don't know whether that's a privilege of my existence or whether that's just some sort of thing that I... I think... I think you, it's probably a practice. You're right. You know, in like one of the nasty things that happened to me in Japan that I got locked out of my apartment for a week and I had to go figure out where to go sleep every night <laughs> after having worked at the bar for like eight hours. Uh-huh. And so this was like, try to do this in a town like in Tokyo where there's 40 million people mm-hmm. and everybody's in a sign language you have no idea about. <laughs> and it was great, but, and you figure it out, you're totally right. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to get to the idea whether you know, there's some people that are more sort of predestined for this or not. And I don't know, I, th- I, I keep going back to this DRD4 thing mm-hmm. because I do see a, a, a certain uh, a parallelism of, of existence with, with certain people that are just like willing to do this kind of yeah. thing, you know, and to sort of go, yep, that, <laughs> looks, that looks great. And if, if you think about the human race, you know, we, there's like a happy mixture of all of us. Yeah. You know, when the, 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 you know, Christopher Columbus 
came upon the United, you know the North American continent in 1492, but nobody came here until like what 180 years later. Like when did people start showing up here in like real masses, like real people just coming over and being like, okay, let's make a go of this. It was like when shit in Europe got so bad yeah, they, they were that they were like, yeah. fuck it, this is better over there. I yeah. don't know, but this is, I'm gonna punch my one-way ticket on this freaking boat that has a likelihood of sinking more than 50%, yeah. but this is better than what's here. And I think the same thing like happens to humanity in general. I think like we're gonna drive this planet into the ground. I, I, for I, as long as we can, and then we're gonna be like, oh fuck! Yep. Let's just build a thing. And, there's gonna be a and then we're going to build some kind of arc where, you know, we're going to put some people on like 50 different freaking arc ships and we're going to send them like in different directions and we're going to hope <laughs> some of them space, yeah. yeah, like in the direction of some kind of solar system where mm -hmm. we're like, that planet looks pretty good that's circling this yeah. thing over there. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be very organized and... Yes, that's our Hail Mary. It's going to be like the potato famine in Ireland and then everybody bounces to the United States. Yeah. But I think... Um, it's going to be great. One of the things within that... So, so you were talking about... You're, you keep wondering if... Like what <laughs> makes... Are people just predestined to be this way? To like have this... Right, because... because I mean, these, one, one, of the, one of the big... Like... There's a sort of school of thought within psychology, like the big five personality traits. Mm -hmm. One of them being openness to experience. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some genetic studies around like identical twins and stuff raised in different right. households. Right. Those can be kind of sparse, and there's a, there's a lot of controversy around. Right. It. Totally. But it seems that yes, some part of our personality, some part of who we consider ourselves to be, uh, is determined by genes and genetic factors and inheritance and probably a host of other things, but over time, what they keep seeing is that, oh wait, these genes get expressed differently in the different contexts, different environments, and so then there's this idea of epigenetics, right. of actively changing right. throughout a life, throughout different environments. Right. And so what I think probably happened with you, <laughs> it probably something happened to me, was like a perfect mm. storm, right? Like, you have this disposition, right. you have these model, this, like your parents modeling this lifestyle and this openness and this freedom to just embark and to experiment and to try new things and go out in the world, like, I think all those things coming together creates this sort of thing. I mean, one of the other things that, and I'll, I'll let you jump in a second, but one of the other things that reliably increases this trait openness amongst these, the big five mm. is psychedelics. Okay. And psychedelic use, and actually, okay. it sustains over the long haul. Not like, because personality is actually notoriously difficult to manipulate and to modulate and to actually change in a sustainable way. Right. Usually people have to hit rock bottom right, <laughs> in some right, capacity. Right. But, Certain experiences, like travel, like psychedelics, both in my own experience and what's documented in the research, is like these have sizable shifts okay. in the long run. In the long run, and so I think it just compounds over the years. And so someone like you, who's shit, I'm going to Japan. Shit, I'm going to Australia. Yeah. All these choices accumulating over time coalesce into someone who's like, fuck off, Microsoft. I'm going to go to Brazil and like spend a year and go through. Yeah violent countries and hospitable countries and just but overall seeing a larger perspective on humanity right yeah yeah i got nothing that was, awesome. <laughs> that was great that was great that was fantastic. Uh, i had there was there was a couple things uh <laughs> can, can you elaborate a little bit more on 
The three words stuck out to me, and I pointed them out earlier, but the intellectual curiosity would travel, the spiritual curiosity would travel, and the social project curiosity would travel. Uh, how have those manifested for you individually? Like, how has this influenced your perspective on spirituality? So the, okay. The big question, I know. <laughs> you, want to, you want all three, or just the spirituality? Uh, let's, let's, let's start with spirituality. Let's, let's, okay, let's, let's warm, start with let's one break. Warm up with intellectual, <laughs> let's warm up with intellectual. Okay, that's cool. So the intellectual curiosity is, is you know, sort of in, reflected in the books when I'm going into the history of these places. Where, um, where, you know, one of my goals with this book was, you know, in a very sort of, er in, in my opinion, probably arrogant manner is to try to copy um, the intent, as I perceive it, of uh, a book called Into Thin Air, mm. written by uh, Krakow, which is, you know, climbing on Everest and everybody dies and, you know, it's all full of tragedy mm -hmm. and he writes this amazing book about it because he was actually there coincidentally and what what's outstanding about the book is is that he doesn't just go into this insane adventure on the mountain where everybody dies but he veers off in into talking about what the history of the Sherpas is mm -hmm. and he talks about one of the participants and and highlights that you know this person is from New York and he's like a, a stockbroker or insurance broker, something mm -hmm. like that and talks about their motivations and he brings he brings like these various historicals and human perspective, historical mm -hmm. and human perspectives, to bear on this crazy adventure that everybody's about to yeah. embark on. Yeah, I noticed all of that. And so, my goal with this book was to give everybody, literally everybody on the planet, something that they will, that will attract them to this book, whether it's the adventure, whether it's the exploration of psychedelics, whether it's you know, the history of the, the, the United Fruit Company, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, the gory history of the genocide of, of, of uh, uh, you know, what's called colonialism of, mm -hmm. you know, the Americas. So there's something for everybody in there. If you're a redneck, there's something in there. If you're a liberal, there's something in there. If you, if you want to read about, you know, a threesome in Mexico on the beach somewhere, there's something in there. Drugs, it's Or in just there. days and days of endless diarrhea. <laughs> right. And so I'm trying to attract everybody with this. I'm trying to suck everybody in. And then I'm trying to disseminate all these little bits and pieces of what I consider to be important mm -hmm. information that I think everybody should have. Yeah. And I try to package in a humoristic way mm -hmm. so that when somebody is reading something where they go, this was a really awesome chapter about Masonte. I love this. But this thing about the United Fruit Company kind of pisses me off. I don't agree with this because it doesn't jive with my political view. But it's still the same guy who writes just as cuttingly and funning, funnily about this stuff as he did about this stuff. Yeah. So I kind of want to at least open up a little bit to this idea and be present enough to sort of go, hmm. Maybe there's actually something to that. Yeah. And vice versa, somebody who's like all over the United Food Company, who's like a university professor mm -hmm. in a humanities department, is yeah. like, yeah, those motherfuckers have been fucking over Central America for 50 years. Yeah. But then there's some kind of broish story about diarrhea yeah. or about a threesome. And that doesn't really jive yeah. into that point of view of the world. Mm -hmm. And so there may be some kind of mismatch of openness there and maybe I can hope to have people be present enough to be open enough to that mm -hmm. because they were open enough to that and so in this arrogant way I've tried to create this work 
where everybody can find access to it and then everybody is sort of charred out of their comfortable existence mm -hmm. of that box that they've created in which they believe to sort of go, ooh, maybe I should reconsider yeah. this part. To hopefully break their sort of standard mental model which judges some things and cherishes yeah. others. Um, yeah, because it offers those multiple perspectives. It offers the <laughs> very humorous points, the very difficult points, and then it, in a lot of ways it becomes a social critique amongst a lot of things. And although I, I think I think you balance it really well in like <laughs> this idea of like there's pros and cons to everything, there's partial truths and everything. So you're not just like pointing the finger or anything like that. Really you're just educating. And you're educating the way that the people there I'm much better I'm much better at this at this on page on on a piece of paper <laughs> than I am in person. I'm much more direct in person than I am here. But this is because I've had five years to consider every word mm -hmm. in here and turn it over and write it differently yeah. and, and switch it again, which is a real pleasure. It's really fun to write. Oh yeah, I want to get you into know? this too, yeah. And 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 so but in my in my real world personal people are probably gonna be like, What? When you say this right now, they're gonna be like Nah, he's lying. He doesn't know. He doesn't know Pirata for real. Because <laughs> I'm usually a fairly direct person in the real mm -hmm. world. Where I don't have the, the, the distance of paper between me where I can mm -hmm. consider exactly how I want to say something in order to reach people appropriately. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, you, you have more time to consider uh, versus in a conversation. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can get really proficient and skilled, I guess. but. Um, I'm really curious because one thing, there's, there's a lot of like meta narratives that I was able to glean from reading. One of them just being the question of what is it like to do this, to put together mm -hmm. a, in many ways, a biographical piece, maybe not even of your whole life, but of this journey. I imagine that's got to be an extremely self-reflective process that you may learn more from even than you thought or did at the time of doing it. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? So, a super important person in all of this, mm -hmm. and in my Capoeira existence, and in writing this book, is my friend, Dr. Phil Beleza, who lives in Utah. He's the guy that I started Capoeira because of. Like, he is the one who introduced me to Capoeira when mm -hmm. I went to Salt Lake City from, from Seattle on a work trip. That's how I found Capoeira. Okay. It's completely crazy. You go to like the most, the whitest, most inbred <laughs> city in the United States, and then there's Capoeira, this expression of liberation of people of color. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just so out there. It's wonderful. <laughs> it's it's just really, really, on, really, yeah. really wonderful. Yeah. And so, he's also the guy who's like, "Dude, did you read Into Thin Air?" And I said, "Yeah, I did." And he's like, "You should write a book like that." And I'm like, "You are out of your mind, bro." And then he just sort of believed in me in this way and was like, oh, okay, cool, mm -hmm. let's do this. And so Dr. Phil is like hugely influential and um, <clears throat> helped me to get back on the track of this question that you just asked me. Oh, yeah. Oh, so, about realizing the changes afterwards when you, when you write the stuff, right? Yeah, like I, it's just going to be such a self-reflective process, I imagine. So, he, it, you know, it's sort of his fault that this book turned out the way it did. And, and in a way, it is exactly what you said, that, that through the travel, through the experience, there's sort of this organic stuff that happens, and there's mm -hmm. this constant stuff yeah. that comes at you. But only afterwards, when you're actually sitting down and you're writing all of it down, you're like, oh, 
I kind of was an asshole in that instance. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah I fucked up. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh that's what he meant. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, you're right. And, and so <clears throat> I feel really fortunate that I was able to do this. Like, I feel super fortunate that, you know, my silly ideas of wanting to be a writer and a blogger before has sort of paid off to some extent mm -hmm. in, in practicing the art of writing yeah. to such a level that I can wrangle this beast to paper. I mean, this started out with having three times as many words, and I probably wrote this, I probably wrote 700,000 words to come up with these 90,000 words that are in here Jeez. right now. That paring down process. And it's one, it was brutal, but it's really, really fun. It's really and wonderful. Yeah. It was really wonderful. The whole experience. And, and <clears throat> I just feel super fortunate that I was able to do this, that I could just say, yeah, I'm just going to take another year and travel and write this thing. Mm -hmm. Where most of the other guys who were on the trip were like, damn, I got to go back to work to pay my bills and to live, mm -hmm. right? And Did you decide <clears throat> to write it as soon as it was done? You know, when you got this album, I had like a bunch of blog posts. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a blog called One Game at a Time, and that was all of the all of these like you know little stories that happened okay. throughout the trip, and some of them I took and put into this book, mm -hmm. and then once I realized that there's actually quite a little bit more that I could flesh this out, I was like, okay, I'm gonna try and write a book about this and just put it together and see where it leads. And then it was a really very organic flow that probably could have really profited from having some kind of professional help where in the beginning, I'm just like writing blindly all of these different stories. And you know, somebody, if I would have gone to like somebody who published, you know, some cool travel memoir, mm -hmm. they could have been like, yeah, write this, write this, write, don't write that, don't write that, write this, write, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Write in this way, right? But I wouldn't have liked it. I would have profited from it, but would have hated it. I think it's sort of as I opposed to your nature, right? Like you're like, screw the instruction yeah. manual. I'm just diving in. Right. I would much rather, <laughs> like, I would, yeah, I'd much rather fall on my face in front of everybody, yeah. trying this out, and then just fuck it. I'm learning. That's you know, yeah. you can't learn without yeah. falling on your face, I guess. And um, and and that's just my modus operandi, I think. And you know, the the chapters that are sort of in this book that are still some of my favorite chapters were pretty much sort of written wholly kind of on the trip. Mm -hmm. There's a chapter about Capoeira that is just really, really powerful and I sort of just left it the way it was mm -hmm. on the blog. I don't think I changed it very much and it had huge blog views. It had like, I don't know, 20,000 blog views mm -hmm. like a few years ago. Much, much more than some little blogger gets. Like if you're a little blogger after a few years you have like if you have like 500 or 1,000 views on your blog, you're mm -hmm. happy. Yeah. And so that there's like 20, 30,000 people looking at this and reading it is, is, is kind of a yeah, big deal. There's, an, there's yeah. not even that many capoeiristas out there who want to read some shit in English. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> that was really cool. The fun thing about writing for me in this was that people kept asking me about the trip. You know, I would come back from the trip and you'd meet some random person mm -hmm. in a bar and would be like, so what are you doing? And I'd just be like, at some point, you kind of got tired about talking about this trip. <laughs> yeah, like this yeah. is like this. Yeah. This is like a total first world problem, right? Yeah. Where people are like, are you kidding me? How can you ever get tired about talking about an adventure like that? But the thing is, and and this is something that Master Accordion and any other large famous person experiences. 
it gets tiresome if the only thing that happens to you is you being defined by one single event or mm -hmm. thing that you do in your life. Mm -hmm. And so when I was talking to people about this trip after the trip, I say I rode my bike to Brazil and now I'm writing a book about it, there would always be like the same questions that people would ask. Mm -hmm. They would always have the same kind of assumptions about me as a person. And it got kind of tiresome. So after some time, I started to direct the conversation and they would ask me, so what was the craziest thing that happened on the trip? Mm -hmm. Or what was the funnest thing? Or what was the most interesting or saddest thing? And I would start picking different items. I would start talking about the crazy mountain in Panama, mm -hmm. or about the diarrhea, or about the group dynamics, or about you know trying to find some mushrooms in the mountains of mm -hmm. Oaxaca, or <clears throat> any of these things. And then it would help me. Or all the stories of Babin. <laughs> right? And it would all come back. So through telling the story to people, I would then have ideas for, for stories that I wanted to tell. And then I would sit there, and even while I'm having this conversation with this person, I'm emailing myself. I'm like, hold on a second, this is really funny. And I would just email myself this little tip, and my email is full of these notes that are sent to myself where I literally have to sprint home from that conversation, get to my computer, open up the email, see the note, and then a whole paragraph or a chapter will form mm. in my head mm. around whatever funny thing that happened in that conversation. Yeah. And then I would just bang it out. And it would be super quick, and it would just be the most funnest and most wonderful experience to do and, this. And so it, so it all flowed out really easily, it sounds like. Was there, was, it, was there any major resistance or blocks in putting it together? Not really, no. It was okay. it was the just, hard just the hard thing was the paring down because Okay. Yeah. You know, there was but it was also that's also a matter of a professional eye where, you know, over the period of looking at this book, I had to learn and grow what is actually useful and what's not. And there's so, so many different little bits and details mm -hmm. that I've left out which I'm a little bit afraid of because some people are going to be like, well, why did you put this in and this you didn't put in? But, you know, and... Yeah, and like, what does that say about but I yeah. But I can't because it, it would just add, like, I would, have a f I would have, like, three footnotes on every page. Mm -hmm. And that's ugly. That's horrible. You can't write like that. Yeah. You have to have a flow. to read, <laughs> particularly. Right? It's already too much as it is, I think. But I try to have them be a little bit funny. Well, I mean, I, I think that always comes back to a balance of... Because I mean, if, if say you kept what, how many words did you say? <laughs> it's like ninety thousand. No, but like like the, before you pared it down. I think I mean, the book in its final like when I first like the limit of the page few pages that I had was like five hundred pages, mm -hmm. and you know it's like a hundred and what is it one hundred and forty pages right now, mm -hmm. so you know it just it pared down like by two thirds at least, mm -hmm. and and you know. While writing all of that, I rewrote everything a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And I still have paragraphs in there where I'm like, I don't really like that. I'm going to change that. But it's always going to be that way. Man, I like don't know. I, like, I, I've actually I've reduced it. I've reduced it. It's like okay. a, as, as time goes by, I'm like, okay, I'm good with this now. Okay, okay. But it literally takes me like, and I don't mind it. It takes mm -hmm. me like multiple times. The only frustrations that I have is that... I haven't found the perfect way of it yet. Mm -hmm. But the beautiful thing about modern day publishing, about modern day everything is, mm -hmm. is that fuck it, I can change this at home tomorrow and in the next version yeah. that I'm printing, it's a little bit better. Yeah. And you know, I don't have to worry about a publisher who's like, nah, I printed your 10,000 copies yeah. and that's what we're selling. You know, mm -hmm. 
but they would have a professional editor who would go over this in the first place and be like, no, this is not good, you gotta change this, and the grammar is not good here, and you gotta change that meaning. People are gonna look at that sentence, go like, what does it mean? And so, you know, it balances out in the end again, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, it, like, what I was trying to get to say was like, it's, it's a balance of figuring out how much of you you're keeping in the book, right? Right. It's like, it's a matter of, okay, what, what am I saying that's actually useful <laughs> for people? Right, right, and then right. And how, how do I keep how much me, do I really Peter, need? me, my yeah, personality, yeah, 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 yeah. my humor, my, my own quirks, how do I keep it in there to make it real? How much do I really have to insult all the world religions? <laughs> <laughs> with balance and with perspective. <laughs> um, there was a couple other ones on here. I mean, it's so brave of you that you're always coming up with a good question, and then like five minutes into it, we're talking about something completely different. Well, I mean, that's just that conversation. It's yeah, awesome. That's what makes it fun. It's <laughs> awesome. I love it. I mean, I was thinking about this earlier. Like, we we relate to the tangentially speaking podcast. Right. Like, I think, and I, I I said communication is a form of travel. Right. Earlier, it's like a conversation. You're stepping into something, seeing if it's going to work, and then seeing where it's going to go. Right. And if it could just go in the spontaneous ways, I mean, I think we both have this personality and this desire, this impulse mm. to just dive in, go at it, see what happens instead of like meticulously calculating everything and planning and prepping. Um, right. That's a spectrum. People fall on different things. There's no right. judgment, but we both learn in that way. And I think the tangents offer in potential new insights, right? Like it's a it's, much more brutal way of learning, really. You know, it's a much more careless and, and in-your-face way of learning because, you know, what happens is that all your shit gets stolen yeah, on the first night out, <laughs> you know, and, and a more prudent person would be like, no, fuck, we're going to go back, we're going to go knock on someone's door and we're going to sleep in their bed. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, hell no, we're not doing that. Fuck no, we're not the only ones that are turning around going back tails between our legs, mm-hmm. right? And so everybody's different, but it, it, it worked out well. It worked out well. Um, yeah, well, I think really it's, I think it's the coinciding trait. Like you said, the, the same impulse that made you go do this made you do the silly things, like get the recumbent or right, right, choose to eat the wrong food or right, right, right. <laughs> like, like any of those. <laughs> um, what I'm what I'm curious because one of the things that kept this group, everyone yeah. on the B two B mission, really together was um, the main leader, Meister mm. Meister Cordion. Yeah, Meister yeah. Cordion. Um, everything was focused on like you guys placing your will to some extent in right, this right. in this man right. and trusting like okay we do have something resembling like a democratic system of input right. but ultimately he's making the final calls yeah. and so what I'm curious is because it also helped you at least from what I saw as a group bond mm. you had this shared value this shared thing of like okay this is the pillar that we're all going towards. Yeah. And then through the shared experience, through the shared struggles and good times and bad times, you form this really cohesive tribe. You're able to conquer anything <laughs> right. on the way to Brazil. Right. And it's like, is it his personality? Does it almost have a guru aspect for you? I mean, like, because one of the things you also touched on is that in a very individualistic society, mm. like the one we're in, we may be losing something right. when we let go of these leader figures and that maybe we need a pecking order right. of sorts to fall into to really feel part of something bigger. So can you, can you just elaborate on like what the, the overall feeling, intention, and 
really vibe is going around <laughs> within a group, when, like when there's this leader figure? You know, I, I've, I've never been in the, in the military, mm -hmm. so I don't actually know what the military is like. Um, I've been on tons of sports teams and, and things like that and did this journey. And from watching people in the military and from you know various media materials, books and movies, there's always this sort of incredible bond between people who are in a group, in a platoon. Mm -hmm. There's like you know, 15 or nine or 10 guys, whatever it is, that are so tied together because mm -hmm. they just have to have each other's back. Their life is on the line. And so no matter where they come from and no matter what their background is, they will learn how to coexist and to become this sort of seamless unit of a number of people that thinks and works as one. And I think this is sort of a similar situation than what dealt developed on B2B. And I think this is what originally is humanity. I think that's how yeah. we actually existed for the majority of our lifetime. And I think our unhappiness in today's world comes, this is the tangent now, our unhappiness no, in today's <laughs> world, oh great, great, you laid it all out. The unhappiness comes from us not being able to live like this anymore because every time we walk out the door, we don't know anybody. Yeah. And we're used to walking out the cave door and we know everybody yeah. for our entire life. And when there's so much of that. And we just can't do it today anymore. It doesn't yeah. matter whether it's a lot or a little. Even if we would always be in the same town, you would eventually, like, you would always like, see people that you don't know. And there would be some kind of familiarity, but this deep, deep human bond mm -hmm. with your one-year-old child where you don't have words, but you're completely connected with her. The reason for that ability is because that's who we are as humans. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have it on a daily basis, we're unhappy. We're, like, we're unhappy because of all of these other civilizational mm -hmm. bullshit things, but I think we're unhappy because we don't have the, we don't have to, we don't get to live in this cocoon of, of human love mm -hmm. that we are born into as human animals, that we're made for, that our epigenetics have produced in us over millions of years, and now over the last 10 years, 10,000 years, we're like, <laughs> fuck your epigenetics, yeah. you know? Yeah. We're gonna live in a city completely Make our own zoo. Well, yeah. We, Civilize ourselves, yeah. Right, and, and so, all right, bring me back to this tangent now. Where were we? Uh, uh, I think just the primacy of the human connection. I mean, one of, one of the things that, right. that came... Right. Keep going if you... If you I can keep going. So keep going. <laughs> well, the interesting thing, what happened about the, in this trip was like these superficial things of like knowing when someone's birthday is or whether they came from a, a divorced family or whether they had three sisters or two mm -hmm. sisters or one brother didn't matter. What matters was the actual daily interaction that we had with people. Mm -hmm. What mattered was how they functioned. You need some coffee in the morning to wake up. You need a banana mm -hmm. in the afternoon to function. I need to shut the hell up in this situation because otherwise that person is not gonna like it. Because it, it became important to maintain the balance between everyone else. Because that's yeah. what made things work. Mm -hmm. You know, me knowing whether somebody was a divorcee child didn't matter. What mattered was how that person woke up in the morning and how we all gelled together as a mm -hmm. unit when we got someone to a place in the evening we had to find a stealthy place to sleep and to eat. And so, I think there's like something missing from our development in the world mm -hmm. where we don't get to experience this pack mentality, this life in a, in a tribe, in a hunter-gatherer yeah, tribe. Yeah. And I think that's what made us so happy. I think that was part of the reason why everybody on the trip, even though we were like 
fuck man, these group dynamics, if I have to deal with this person at another flight one more time, I'm gonna lose my SHIT. But even though that was going on, I was like happy as a pig in mud. It was yeah. amazing. I was like, yeah, let's roll, let's do this on a daily basis. Even after like 300 days, I still wanted to keep going forever. And so I think that's like one of this human connection you're talking about. I don't know if it's travel. I think it's a tribe. I, you know, in traveling, have you seen the movie The Beach? No. So you watch the movie The Beach. This is a traveler's movie. It's like everybody who travels gets that movie. Everybody who does like that movie, yep, man. That's some fucked up shit that happened in that movie. And I saw exactly the same thing happen <laughs> when I was a bar in Saigon, in Tokyo, in Bangkok, in wherever. Mm -hmm. Right? People who don't travel are like, fuck this movie, it's a stupid, Leonardo mm -hmm. DiCaprio is a dick, it's not even anything. It's actually like kind of reality based mm -hmm. when you go travel and you experience the chaos. And then there's this tribe of all of these anonymous travelers of this Israeli backpackers and the Australian drinkers and the Americans that are always making sure that they're safe and they're mm -hmm. texting their mom before they go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so all of these things come together and form kind of an anonymous group, kind of a group of people that is a tribe where you don't really know that much about your past. And that's liberating. Yeah. And you just because exist you in this moment. Yeah, and you exist in this moment superficially in a tribe that has a very meaningful, similar goal. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. And that's like this traveling communion that you yeah. speak of. Yeah. Well, and I think what's sort of lost in at least what I see to be modern society, the Western world, is because you have so many people and because it becomes really just standard practice, you walk by people on the street, on the sidewalk. But you can't, right? I mean, you can't like, interact with you everyone. You can't say hello to everybody. But that also means maybe you don't say hi to anyone. But so a lot of people find themselves in that situation and right. it becomes, I think, sort of the bane of our problem is like the lack right. of connection, the lack of sustenance, the lack of nutrition from one another. I, think I, 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 I wonder if these, you know, this technology that we have today, it's, it's such baby steps again, but we're trying to figure out creating like, you know, connections like Facebook algorithms is literally like the physical evolution of us coming from being yeah. hunter-gatherers to being sedentary to being farmers to like building these incredibly complex things and now we got to figure out okay who am I trying to reach with this post that I'm trying to put out there right now and, and it's dictating that and is the Facebook algorithm supporting me in this direction or should I post it from Instagram first or should I post it from Facebook first mm -hmm. who what's the audience that I'm gonna reach how am I gonna reach that audience and everybody's thinking about that you're like a kid at university, but mm -hmm. you want to promote your podcast, so you're thinking about this shit. Yeah. And it's an evolution that you would have never thought about 20 years ago because that sort of complexity didn't exist. Yeah. If you would have had a radio program 20 years ago, you would have gone to your mom and your dad and to your f five best friends, and that's it. Mm -hmm. They would have been the ones that you know. Today, yeah. you're like, all right, if I put a Facebook ad out there, and I say I'm going to reach everybody between 22 and 25 mm -hmm. who's interested with a certain demographic and this interest in set. Yeah, I thought it. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, <clears throat> and that's like an evolution from like of communication yeah. skill and interaction and complexity from Stone Age to mm -hmm. farming to what we do today. And but it allows you like to find the, the people you vibe with. And we're like in the infancy of it. So even mm -hmm. though we're kind of dogging it and we're like, ah, in the Western world, we've lost the ability to do this. And I, like I'm not, I'm not a proponent for either one of those, but maybe in the Western world, we're actually at the forefront of trying to create these 
circumstances that we thirst for as humans mm -hmm. via a technological solution so that we can experience it again even though there'll be 10 billion people on the planet mm -hmm. in another 30 years or something mm -hmm. and when it may be the only way to actually get part of it in this level of complexity in this level of diversity amongst all these people right right like to help you actually find the people that align with you enough to develop right some sort that's of exactly what i mean there's so much going on yeah. that's exactly yeah. what i mean so that because i don't know if you if this has ever happened to you but that will like every once every once in a while, every few years, you'll meet somebody and it'll be like, "Fuck, this is like a doppelganger of me." <laughs> That's just craziness. Mm -hmm. Like I have a very good friend who lives in Phoenix, and then I have this other friend who's a capoeirista who started capoeira like a couple years ago, and they're like fifteen or twenty years apart in age, but oh, um, gee, they're just like carbon copies okay. of each other. Okay, yeah. It's just the most wonderful thing, physically, mentally, spiritually, mm -hmm. everything. And so maybe we're supposed to find all of these people and kick it with them. Yeah. Maybe that's supposed to be the tribe. Maybe there's, there'll be like such an instinctual understanding of mm -hmm. each other because we're kind of all the same. We, we would think and have the same opinions mm -hmm. and thoughts. It's just like, yeah, I know you're going to go and get some coffee in the morning because you need that. Yeah, I know you're going to write that article because mm -hmm. that's what you care about. I know you're going to talk to the government because we need that tax break. Da 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 da, -da whatever, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> Maybe that's what's going to happen. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we're, I have, I have no st idea. we're, we're still in the infancy of it. Th that's is, the this, thing this about this This experiment's only been run for 25 years. Right. The internet is the baby. <laughs> that's crazy right? I also think it's I'm a big fan of it personally right. like I wouldn't be able to make the music I do or to right. really do anything that I mean I pretty much I work online I do a lot of things online uh, I wouldn't have these privileges if I didn't yeah. have this medium and this, this this way of connecting with people um, but it, it always it just has its pros and cons and <laughs> that has to be parsed out on the individual level yeah. by everyone um, that's what the humans do. <laughs> I want to take it back to um, Demolition Man on that. Yeah. Demolition Man, like movie Demolition Man. ever see Demolition Man? I don't know if I have seen There's it. like an upper world where all like the, the nice, you know, successful people live. And okay. then there's an underworld where all the poor fuckers live. Okay, it's like the People on the south on. side. Yeah. And technology is interwoven into all of these things. And you see like there's like a, like a level of political correctness going on in that movie mm. where you're like, oh... This reminds me of a certain state in the United States of America where people act this way. And so it's just like a movie that was made 20 years ago that's a silly science fiction movie with you know a dude that was in jail later on. But it has so much truth in it, in the way that this technological development will play out. Yeah, us sitting here in the university obviously means that we have an incredible privilege compared mm -hmm. to folks that... You know, we would you know be within our boys to men mentoring yeah. circles in the various schools that we attend. Nevertheless, those guys also have access. They can also go to the library for free, and they can also create their own thing. They can also have their TikTok channel and put a yeah. hundred thousand people on it. There's literally nothing preventing them from it, mm -hmm. other than the box that they're in, in their yeah. minds. Yeah, the limits they place on this. Right? I can do this. I can't do that. Sort of thing. <clears throat> And so that's a wonderful thing, and I think it, it, it'll play out in just this crazy, messy way that things play out in where, you know, we wish that everybody had the same access and the same opportunity, mm -hmm. but that's just not the case. 
and so some people will use it in one way and other people will use it in mm -hmm. another way well I think it, I think it provides the long tail I think it you know as the internet has like there's this behemoths like Amazon right. like all these large right. dot-com companies right. uh, but I think we're going to see more and more as people become more aware of what can be done with online marketing and online distribution uh, is that the middleman gets cut out yeah. and there's going to be a lot more, it's almost going to be the rise and the resurgence of the mom and pop shop just online and about building rapport and brand with people based within a certain audience. I mean, I think it offers opportunity. But isn't that what Amazon kind of gobbled up? I mean, isn't that the success with Amazon that every mom and pop shop wants to sell on Amazon because they just solve all the distribution problems and well, there's that have a huge audience. There is that, but I also think there is a thirst eventually or among a large subset of people where it's like there has to be some substance to it. Mm. Um, there's the level of convenience with Amazon and with all these other things, but there's also a drive for a story. Right. Like there are plenty of sites selling really niche organic peanut butter. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like that wouldn't be pot and maybe you can do that and make fifty five thousand dollars a year online and be happy as fuck. And that opportunity is actually available on like a really large scale. Right. It's not this grandiose thing where everyone's gonna be the next Jeff right, Bezos. Right, 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 right. But it's actually realistic and possible and yet I don't think people are aware of it. You know, actually, uh, we have a friend here in Tucson who came up with the idea of having sneaker cleaning products. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they basically came out with this and they're like the, the leading people on the market and they have all <laughs> these like basketball stars that are advertising wow. their, their cleaning products and they sell it in a cool little shoe bag and they have See? Like, yeah, right there. this thing and it's just, it's from the south side of Tucson really it's mm -hmm. not like some highfalutin guy from the school of design in, in, in Stanford yeah. you know it was just an idea like and a willingness to search enough idea. on Google to figure out what to do yeah and so yeah. well you know they just experimented they yeah just fucked up a lot of shoes I think and they <laughs> how to do it right <laughs> fail at a thousand light bulbs yeah. when they get it right sort of thing yeah right right it's like the FDA <laughs> no totally totally <laughs> um, so there's one down here. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what I perceived within amongst your group was the, the fact of shared struggle and the fact of uh, just every day waking up not aware, not knowing what's going to come. That allowed for a lot of spontaneous and um, deep connection because you're, mm. you're forced to be in a group not you, you none of you were forced and a lot right. of people did leave or they got injured and right. th there were circumstances but the core of your guys's group you were all super in it and that willingness was able to forge something over the long run I mean these, these are probably some of the deepest friendships you have to this day yeah. or maybe, maybe it varies maybe it varies I think it goes back to you know the question that we kind of tangented away from when you were asking about you know Mercer's role in, mm -hmm. in keeping this cohesiveness going um, I think that you know all of us committed to this larger idea and the reason why we tangented away from talking about Mesa's personality mm -hmm. this being a larger idea is because that's what gives humans the willingness to engage in a system such as organized religion because mm -hmm. they're like this idea is so large 
I need to be a part of it. No matter like how important or big I am, mm -hmm. I think that this is going to take me to the promised land in mm -hmm. this case. In our case, it's going to take us to the promised land of Capoeira, Salvador, Bahia, mm -hmm. right? And we believed and we bought into this idea of following Messi to Brazil and shooting a documentary on the way and doing all these amazing things together. And I think the comparison to the military is sort of similar, is, is valid to some mm -hmm. extent here because you know, we have committed to an idea that is larger than ourselves and that's where the buck stops. So no matter what kind of problems we had with each other or what kind of diarrhea we had on that day, mm -hmm. everybody who made it in the end said, I'm committed to this and I'm going to go through with it. And I think that is an incredibly strong, that's an incredibly strong bond between all mm -hmm. of us. Strong will. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's, that's sort of like what, what Master offered us, like this sort of guiding light to say, you know, this is what I believe we're going to do and we're mm -hmm. just going to finish it and we're just going to do it. And, and, you know, that's just an, an incredible, audacious thing, like I said at the beginning of, of, of what we talked about. Um, I don't know, I, don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that these are like the deepest friendships that I have. I mm -hmm. think like all of us had like very complex lives before we went on this trip. Most of the guys that were on the trip have a much more settled life than I mm -hmm. did. Like they were all sort of living in the Bay Area for most mm -hmm. of their lives. And so they had like deeply and highly developed friendships and families mm -hmm. and communities in the Bay Area that they were all leaving behind. Where I was sort of just a nomad that yeah. this was just another nomadic thing that I did. And, and so I think there was a lot more sort of adjustment to having to be in this new crazy adventure environment for the other folks on the trip mm -hmm. rather than for myself and for Beboom. Mm -hmm. Beboom is like this complete free spirit who really is like a, a creature of really deep, deep innate wisdom that also was born and created through a life of really fucking hard struggle. Mm -hmm like much, much harder than I ever experienced, very obviously so. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so, you know, when we talk about how did this group gel in the end, we all were subsumed to this goal that we had. We all wanted to go out there. And now when we meet, we have this like very innate understanding of who we are mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as it pertains to the actions that we take. But we're not calling each other every day. We're like, yo, how you doing, brother? Let me yeah. tell you about what just happened. Every one of us has their own people that they're already doing this with mm -hmm. before, and I think also now. But there is this like singular, deep focus and connection mm -hmm. that we experience because of this journey that happened, because mm -hmm. of understanding what it takes to get up day after day after day, you know, at four o'clock in the morning to get ready to ride 80 miles. And you just ride and, and eat you just play your pair of flats, maybe smoke a J. Repeat. <laughs> That's all we were doing. It was like the freaking hunter-gatherer Hashimi tribe of the modern area. It was fucking awesome. But the discipline sets you free. And even the routine aspect of it tied in with the spontaneity of the people you meet in the villages you come across. You know, I wonder, you how, I, I wonder how this was for the other guys because like... That sort of discipline is a thing that's innate for myself mm -hmm. because I have always practiced sport my entire life. I started playing like in a, in a field hockey team when I was 10 and then I started playing basketball when I was 15. And so it was always like 
year after year, week after week, I would have like three, five, ten training sessions where you just go and work out mm-hmm. and do physical stuff. And you commit to the idea of this team and then you just have fun moving your body and being exercised and energetic mm-hmm. and doing awesome shit together. And so for me, this was just falling back into like a, in a, in a very nice routine where I actually didn't have to worry about my paycheck and my next review yeah. and my freaking rent and whatever the fuck people worry about in the mm-hmm. modern world. And it was just like, dude, let's just go ride bike. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's around this corner. <laughs> Look at this mountain. This is great. What, we're in tequila? We're going to ride to tequila. We're going to taste all of the tequilas in tequila. <laughs> we're going to get a little plastic bottle of tequila. We're going to put it into our paneers. And we're going to go travel with it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep making a modern Mexicano with that, even though we're riding on a bicycle. And wisdom in the community would be like, yo, you can't be drinking and riding. you got to be healthy. Like, no, fuck it, I don't actually have to be. <laughs> because when you're riding, you're burning so many calories. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I, I'm, I need to be sort of on a gluten free diet mm-hmm. on a daily basis because that shit's not good for me. When I was riding bike, didn't yeah. matter. Yeah, there's plenty of stories. Body burned <laughs> all of it, you know? And, and so this goes back to what are we supposed to do as humans? Mm-hmm. We are actually obviously supposed to be walking and moving on a constant basis mm-hmm. and when we do that our bodies are just in perfect oiled superb machine mm-hmm. condition mm-hmm. where you you know I took a I was at a couple other event in Goiania where my group group Candeas is from and they had a measuring like of whatever you could measure your your cholesterol and your blood pressure at mm-hmm. the end and it was just for the people that at the, at the at the event so that they would check whether they're healthy or not and I did this just for shits and giggles, and I had perfect measurements, even though I'd been eating like meat and rice and beans for a year. Mm-hmm. But I rode 12,000 miles and played capoeira, I don't know how many and hundreds of days. You were constantly exposed to new environments. And right, and so <clears throat> we're just really not doing ourselves a service living the way we are mm-hmm. compared to where we're coming from. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. Mm. Um, can we you just totally get so tangented again? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's wonderful. The, uh, can you talk a little bit, because I'm curious, what, the transition back into mm. modern society, <laughs> um, coming back and like, oh shit, there's money. <laughs> now right. I got to think, right. think about money, I got to think about rent, I got to think about all these right. other things. I mean, because you basically took a year and said, fuck all that. Yeah. I'm gonna go explore myself, I'm gonna go explore the world, do this thing, drop all that stuff. Uh, can you elaborate on that transition and maybe what people following in your footsteps could glean in terms of how to make it more smooth? <laughs> I think you gotta take your time. Okay. I think you gotta take your time. I think that if you would go on a journey like that, I think you kinda have to look at it as a bit of an event horizon, as mm-hmm. a singularity where like, I might be interested in something completely different than I was before I went on this trip. That's what I'm curious about, yeah. You might have to prepare yourself to say, oh, well, you know, I I did study political science, but I'm actually interested in accounting, Mm -hmm. or vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? And, and, And so, that why that's why in, in, in European cultures and in Israel, <clears throat> people go on a gap year before they go study, not after. Mm-hmm. They go after high school. Like they're like they're nineteen, twenty years old yeah. and they're like, I'm gonna go backpacking for three months or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it just helps them sort of you know, blow up some teenage steam and also and see outside understand of their conditioning. Some shit, yeah. You know, yeah. learn do this like, Oh, that's amazing. You guys do it like this? 
we have fools doing it like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And all of these like little things start happening that set your mind free a little bit because yeah. you understand more the truth. Um, <clears throat> I do think that this is just really, really crucial in, in, in the development of a person, mm-hmm. you know? The um, process of traveling. Yeah, because, well, you know, you can travel, it's a philosophical question. But you can, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can travel in your mind, you read a book and, you know, there will be some, you know, things will be communicated yeah. to you where you're like, oh, okay, maybe, you know, what I'm thinking is different than what's actually out there mm-hmm. and what kind of other ideas are there. And that's just educational parts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Totally. And so, uh, building off this idea I like what you what you said about needing or maybe being open and having a willingness to let go of things you currently identify with right going on an excursion and right. being willing to come back and say you know what that's not the most right. aligned thing anymore like I'm 22 like I told you and I'm going out of the country for the first time in a couple mm-hmm. months uh, and honestly, I can't fathom anything that's more core to me than music. <laughs> like, I really can't. Because it was the first uh, and always, like, the deepest love. And the more I get in touch with that, the more serene and real that feels. And yet, I see so many patterns. And especially over the past, like, nine months, hmm. I've really parsed out a lot of conditioning in terms of how things were modeled for me as a child in terms of relationships or interactions or how you maneuver yourself in society. I could trace so many aspects of how I currently am back to that and it makes me wonder like not do any of those like things. is this, what what is me <laughs> like, like how, how much of it is legit how much of it is just i was just picked up through osmosis and so like i i, I especially over the past couple of weeks thinking okay maybe i'll go with this intention of like i'm just going to drop everything i think i've been everything i think i've been into as much as possible and just be open to like okay world show me what i can be in different contexts <laughs> um but that also means like maybe I'll come back and music won't have such a central role in my life. That right. scares me. Right. Right. And so it, right. it almost, people can come to a, situ- a place where it's like, okay, I'm not necessarily scared of jumping off the deep end for these societal reasons. I'm scared because I'm going to lose my ego and who I think I right. am right. potentially. Right. Maybe I'll just fucking figure out, you know what? You double down. <laughs> I think that, I think that's, I think you're hitting it on the head. I think you're very right in the, in, in saying, people are sort of afraid of losing this existence that they have created for themselves and whether you know it's nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. in anything like you know people talk about or this you know when you talk about the twin studies in it before you know it's like people try to figure out is it the genes or is it the environment that are making people and it's in reality it's just a crazy mix that's an insane mix i think that in a thousand years when we have completely godly computer powers and godly powers of observation mm-hmm. where we can actually watch every human being's every single interaction collate all of it into a system of statistical analysis we will then actually be able to point to the minuscule, most minuscule detail and say see this thing happened a thousand times and that's why this person is now like this mm. this thing happened 300 times and that's why this person is a little bit less but still that is happening as well mm-hmm. i think there's just such that this level of complexity that we experience when we grow up as humans compared to co- connected uh, 
in combination with the DNA that we inherit, mm -hmm. this thing is so complex that right now we can't understand it. Yeah. And it's like fucking God. And it's, it's amazing how we do as well as we do. But in the future, <laughs> in in the yeah. future we will understand this. And yours and my personality will be something that's a formula where somebody can say, I'm going to look back into the Excel sheet of Peter Pirata and yeah. I'm going to try and figure out what the fuck he is, who he is. And then I'm going to say, oh, see, that's when his mom took him to Popocatepetl. Mm -hmm. Let's try and find all of the kids whose mom took him to something like Popocatepetl in mm -hmm. Mexico. You went to Kilimanjaro as an eight-year-old? Okay, tick. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah? You went to Hawaii as a, as a seven-year-old? Tick, mm -hmm. right? And so we collect all of this and accept it's like super, super, super complex and detailed. Everything, like in these three seconds that we're just talking right now, the system that's watching us took a thousand different measurements mm -hmm. of our body language, of our body temperature, of what our brain's doing, all of these different inputs, right? And then we can actually measure who we are. And that question that you have, where you're like, where am I from? Is it me as a person? Or is it all of these, like, is it my mom putting me next to the music teacher that actually influenced the fact mm -hmm. that I'm today so into music, mm -hmm. rather than some kind of amorphous idea that you have of what you should be? Mm -hmm. When who the fuck cares whether this is your biological part or the music teacher that would place next to you? The end result is that you love music and you love doing it, and that, that's all yes. that matters, right? Yes. And so with the music, I wouldn't even say it's a problem, but when I think about certain tendencies I have towards... I mean, I'm a fairly introverted person as is, and right. I, I enjoy that, but sometimes it spills on the air of, like, I can get quite a bit of social anxiety. Right. Or I can right. really have a tendency to isolate and then right. be in a spot over a period of time where it's like, I'm not feeling too good about myself and I lack a right. substantial connection. Now, I've taken, I've become more aware of that and to taken measures to capitalize on improving it. Or maybe that's just who you are. It and, might be. And in reality, when you're spending three months at a hermit, you come out of that with a brilliant idea that you need to execute on. And in order to execute on that, you need people. Because yeah. we always need other people to do this shit yeah. that we do because we're humans. Yeah. We co-compete and cooperate. Mm -hmm. But what if you are training yourself into not being that kind of like a hermity person for a minute, but then you don't have that creative juice brewing in you? Well, let's see, this is exactly, the past two weeks I've been running this little life experiment where I batch <laughs> all my time. So are it's like hacking? Monday through Wednesday, there's work. Um, <laughs> beyond that, I don't have to think about work. In the mornings I do school, at night I'll try to do like quite a bit of social activity. And then Friday through Sunday uh -huh. is just alone working on music. Okay. So this past weekend I was actually at a meditation retreat center a couple hours east. Uh -huh. And it was just alone, a lady let me stay in her RV. And then I would go into the meditation hall with my cello and my hand pan, I just recorded uh -huh. and like totally alone and then just cycling between that and books and like simple food and like being out in nature. That's kind of awesome. It, dude, it's, <laughs> it's working very well. <laughs> Let me look. Right. Like, and um, what, what I've noticed is that I learn well because I have a very intense and sort of addictive personality, for better or for worse. I learn well from extremes. And so now I've, I'm have and will continue to capital like use that you sound so, like a playbook of drd4 <laughs> so like multiple days of deep social connection <laughs> interaction followed by isolation working on okay, art okay. and the jostling between the two right. letting it influence each other and letting insights percolate about the nature of myself and how i relate right. to other people in the world yeah um That's there's been a lot of that experimentation over the past i should say over the past i guess five years but 
especially in the past year, okay. especially in the past year with more, as I've stepped into, because music was dormant for, okay. for a good number of years, like okay. I started playing guitar when I was 12 mm. and it just became everything. <laughs> like I, I fell in love with it and picked up some other instruments along the way and then some point around 16 or 17, I just started getting like comparing so much comparison of my art to other people's art. It's like, like I wonder if this is like a, a pro product of the modern world too. Well, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this because it's like yeah. you come to a place where there's so much comparison that it just turns yeah. into a procrastination. Yeah. You know, you, you stop devoting yourself to it. You stop putting a lot of it, time and energy into yeah. it. It yeah. doesn't have to be music. It could be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then being in relationships and then all this mm -hmm. other stuff. And then coming to a point where again, where I had enough time a heartbroken, like, heart starving artist <laughs> has got to be writing the best music possible. <laughs> what do you mean, dormant? Well, no, because like during this time, there wasn't a lot of music. Mm. There was a lot of other stuff and, and really good stuff. I mean, like, it's been a big five years in the sense that I had an eating disorder for okay. many years, and it was just fucking, it was all I could think about, focus on, it just like sort of ruined my life in a lot of ways. But it was also the thing that pushed me really deeply to consider personal development travel right. Right. meditation right. and all these other things because well fuck I'm not finding fulfillment in all the ways I compare myself to others and all the ways I'm insecure about myself there's got to be something more there has to be something more because if there isn't let me just blow it out now right. I don't want to be here for it right uh, and so it's really it's, it's been a process of that and then really in the past year and a half you know just just stepping into music a little bit only to find that oh my god this is like of course this is the most important thing to me. <laughs> this is this was the first thing I really fell in love with as a person, mm -hmm. and it wasn't part of my family. It wasn't part of anything else. So it's like in in some ways it feels like it is really me. Um, so in a way, you already did the traveling and the coming back to it. <clears throat> in that respect, yeah. But at the same time, uh, <laughs> I only imagine there's more of that, right. and so like I don't want to be beholden to certain notions or ways of being that I currently am. I still want to remain open because I know I'm, even though I've done certain things that I guess most people in this culture my age haven't done, uh, I know I'm still naive in so many ways that I have yet right. to see. Right. Uh, and so that's why things like the travel and meeting people like you, <laughs> I love to get, I love oh, to get perspective <laughs> because self-awareness and perspective in that context keep having the biggest return on investment out of anything I look at and right. get involved with. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and you know, it's a it's a it's a fairly humbling experience to be sitting across from you while while you say this sort of stuff. Um, I certainly was not like that when I was a kid. When I was younger, I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm going. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm interested in this." You know, I. I yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the idea of sort of bringing a lot of things back to whether people come from a privileged or non-privileged mm -hmm. background, but I would certainly say that in comparison to most folks, the way I was raised, including that idea of, of experience over materialistic achievement, is what sort of propelled me in this direction mm -hmm. and what privileged me to go in this direction. Yeah, well, and to not chase that rabbit. Right, yeah. Well, or well, not as sort much. Carrot stick. But it's like, <laughs> it's it's this weird thing, right? I mean, as a as a foreigner that comes to the United States, you know, a lot of people 
you know, speak ill of this country, mm-hmm. you know, in, in recent years. And there's certainly, there's like a dichotomy of the public actions of the country and then the, the public persona of its, of its inhabitants mm-hmm. and of its citizens and the individual people that are living in this country. And they're all as complex and as individually wonderful as the rest of the world. And I think that, you know, we, we, we kind of do ourselves a little bit of a disservice to, to, to think of ourselves, you know, in this country as not achieving this mm-hmm. properly. I think that there's um, plenty of good going on in this regard. And, uh, you know, I certainly, as a foreigner, you, you kind of profit from this because you can come over here and you can be like, I speak English, I have a degree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a white dude from Austria with, you know, a fun accent that everybody loves. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of stories. <laughs> right, a bunch of stories. And I can, like, for some crazy reason, go and make some, make like a really good living in mm-hmm. certain ways. And because I'm willing to take the risk, I'm also willing to say, yeah, I don't care what, how much money you're paying me. I'm going to mm-hmm. take half year off. I'm going to go travel. And, you know, this combination of this privilege on the one hand to be open-minded, to go and seek this life, and on the other hand, the ability to generate quite a bit of cash flow on the other hand, and then being willing to say, I'm just going to drive a 10-year-old Bronco. I'm not going to drive a you know, BMW yeah. like all my co- colleagues yeah. are driving that costs them $800,000 a month, which to me is just complete insanity. Same, same. Like, why would anybody drop... That like if you're having a Beamer, you're probably paying 400 car payments, another 400 dollars in insurance. Mm-hmm. That's at like least that's a little huge one. opportunity cost of that. What the hell, man? Yeah. That's like 10 grand a year that you're I dropping what, on your car. Like, and what would have happened if you invested 10 grand into the self-education, right? Over the course of a year. Like, See, that's, that's something that I don't do. Like I wouldn't. Like I, this is funny. I have this prejudice towards this like you know self-help thing that which is so interesting. I have like mm-hmm. this. I have this bias where I'm saying that I, I really enjoy about the United States that, you know, you can come over here and write your own story and you can go write a book like this at the same time work at Microsoft, mm-hmm. which is not that common in Europe and in other countries mm-hmm. around the world. But at the same time, when somebody comes to me and is like, you know, I really like Tony Robbins, I'm like, fuck Tony Robbins. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a charlatan, right? And so, like, I would never drop 10 grand on, a, on self-education in that direction. I don't know if that's what you were talking about. I mean, about. self-education, bro. But I would speaking, go travel. I would go I would take off some time and be like, I'm out. I'm just going to see what life throws mm-hmm. at me. But then, you know, it's an individual choice of the matter, too, because you can go to Cambodia and you can kick it in, you know, the, the, the guest houses over there for $4 a day and smoke weed all day long and never experience a thing. Mm-hmm. And then you come home and you're like, yeah, man. I was over there, I wrote some Paulo Coelho, man. <laughs> that's amazing, man. The things that I've learned. And he was just a hippie stoner in some, you know, guest house in Cambodia, in yeah. Siem Reap, in Phuket, yeah. wherever, right? And so even if you make that choice to go travel and be that, what is it that you're actually going to be making out of it? And I think, again, like, you know, when you think about it, what did humanity make out of atomic, out of splitting the atom? some really cool shit and some really awful shit. Mm-hmm. And when some people choose to go travel, some people will make some really cool stuff out of it and other people will make not such cool stuff out of it. So, so is the differentiation then intention? Or action or willingness? Oh my God, it's so complex, man. I think it is, 
I think intention is like a is a is a dangerous is like a two is a is a two edged sword okay. because you need the intention to go and do something, but at the same time, if you're then too intent on that, you're missing out what's on the other yeah, side. Yeah, too rigid. Yeah. Right. If you're just purely interested in the music and going to Europe, maybe you would miss out on the teacher training that you're also interested mm -hmm. in. But you're already setting your mind to being open. You're already forcing yourself to say. I'm gonna actually look for other opportunities, and whoops, there's one that presents to you, and you go for it. Mm -hmm. And so you're already ba balancing that that two-edged edged yeah. sword of the intention, which is great. Well, and for me personally, related to that, it's like I sort of want to run the control experiment, more experiments, of totally flipping everything my life has been about at this point, and the way I've behaved, the amount of social interaction, especially the amount of social interaction I've been embedded within. I want to flip that upside down, and then see. Because if that tells me, if I just feel more compelled to do the music, and especially like right. to do it right. largely alone, mm -hmm. like among all these instruments and stuff, then I know. Right. Versus like I'll have these what ifs of like, oh, if I was in a, just a social immersed right place where it's like nonstop. Um, I hear you, man. I, I should. I, I feel like I should have that perspective. I want that perspective so I can make better you, <laughs> decisions you, in the long run. You really kicked off a great memory for myself, man. When I was when I grew up, I was like I was like no, I, I mean this is, goes back to um, the the, in, the epigenetics and the influence of how life will change us. I'm truly a very different person than my father is today, mm -hmm. but I would be much much more similar than he is if I would have stayed in Austria. Yeah, you know my 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 dad has very few friends that he values dearly, and that's all he needs. And I was mm -hmm. like that when I was a kid. I, I just had like you know two three really good friends, and mm -hmm. those were my boys, and that's how I hang out with. And everybody else was kind of an idiot, and it was just sort of like an, an arrogant way of, mm -hmm. of closing myself off of well, from experience. Yeah. Right, keeps me in this in this experience where I am. I feel comfortable here. You know, this is my point of view of the world, and it doesn't get challenged much. When you go travel. And you keep being kind of loner like that, then you are just never gonna fucking talk to anybody. Because mm -hmm. when you go travel, you need to make connections on the spot. Well, it forces you to, yeah. Because you don't have this European way of three months of, or ten years of luxury of sitting next to a person before you actually mm -hmm. say, hey, how you doing? Because in Europe, it takes a lot longer to meet people, to introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. there's, there's like a tendency to be more distance compared okay. to, to this country here. And so, um, when you go travel, and this is what it would have been like for me, if I didn't go travel, I, I would be uh, kind of much more hermity than I am today. Mm -hmm. And But today, I have like friends all over the world. Yeah. And I have, I have a much more empathetic relationship with all of my friends around the world than I would have had if I would have just stayed at home. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a change that I can like just personally examine on myself where I'm like I would be a very very different guy mm -hmm. if I had never had left if I had yeah. never left and the same stuff will happen to you that's but, what I want yeah <laughs> right. and, and it'll happen in the most unexpected of ways mm -hmm. you know you're like way ahead of my old ass already because I didn't think about these things when I was leaving what I was thinking about when I was leaving to Australia and this kind of what you were just saying <laughs> kicked off this idea actually yeah. in my head was like I was like this guy in Austria where people was like, you know, people is, Peter is like a really smart guy who, you know, when somebody says something stupid, he's usually the one who says, oh, that was pretty stupid because of blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah, which a lot of times is probably right, but also makes you kind of like being an asshole. Yeah. Right. 
It also so, discounts like whatever partial value or truth is in that person's perspective. Right. And so <clears throat> I had to learn that, like leaving home and going out into the world to, you know, learn how to communicate differently. And, and that was a beautiful learning process mm -hmm. and a healthy learning process for me that was really important. What do you think, for someone who wanted to mimic that, Yeah. what are some ways to enhance that or to really delve into that intention? Well, the funny thing, the, the funny thing was, is like when I came to Australia, I was like, everybody here is gonna know the real Peter. They're not gonna think that I'm like that. They're not gonna think that I'm mm. sort of like this, you know, <laughs> arrogant know-it-all. They're gonna think that you know Peter is like a cool dude that gets along with everybody. Yeah, yeah. And then after being there for three years, everybody thought I'm an arrogant asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so at that Wherever time, you go, there you are. <laughs> it didn't, it, this is very true, and it, it didn't it didn't take until many many years later you know that i that i learned certain lessons that made it somewhat easier for the rest you know for my environment to tolerate me <laughs> you know but um you know your intention of of doing that is is really that's what's necessary like that's what's important and and when you go travel and if you don't go traveling with a bunch of buddies of yourself or you go traveling by yourself you are going to come into you're going to touch things that will blow your mind, you know, Celestine Prophecy stuff where you're like out in nature and there's this cathedral that nature built for oh, you yeah. and you're just so <laughs> happy there, yeah. and it's so wonderful and you come back down and there's a beautiful person sitting next to you on the bus and you're going to talk and you're going to have mm -hmm. a conversation and you're going to share these amazing things that happen mm -hmm. and there will be some crazy connection that happens that's just the most wonderful, totally perfect, wonderful, perfect, unexpected thing that you wouldn't have had if you would have stayed in Tucson. Yeah. Because you've lived that place. There's like nothing for you to do like that. You have mm -hmm. met all those people. You have done all those mm -hmm. things. But when you go into the Alps in Austria and you walk from like one mountain hut to the next for a week and you're up in the mountains and on the seventh, on the sixth night, you meet this dude who's like, I don't know, from South America maybe. And yeah. he's like on his walkabout and you guys have just the most amazing experiences together. And then you mm -hmm. write a song. Yeah, and that freaking song is gonna live forever for you, <laughs> and, for yeah. and in the minds of travelers everywhere. And that's an opportunity you freaking can't deny yourself. Exactly. Right? You have exactly. to do it, and it's totally gonna happen. That's that's my intention, at least. That's yeah. totally what I'm <laughs> going for now. A uh, couple other, you can answer these ones <clears throat> quickly, or however, however you see fit. But like, I'll try. First part of this is advice, second part is a book. Um, so you can answer them in either way. What book would you recommend, or what advice, travel-wise, would you recommend to your 20-year-old self? <laughs> I, I mean, I tell, every, every, I tell everybody who wants to go, like who's interested in this kind of thing, to mm -hmm. go read, um, Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse, okay. this, this German dude, right? That's come up multiple times in the past couple of months. Yeah, people I've, I've talked to. The, the, he's he's like a, he's like a German version of Paulo uh, Paulo Coelho. Okay, he's okay, like yeah, the yeah. Brazilian version of this. It's like you know the alchemist is very similar to to and I'm you know people are probably gonna hate me for this for you know to the to the um, Siddhartha that, that mm -hmm. Hermann Hesse wrote 
and the intentions of the books of like this young person who's struggling with life and who's trying to figure things out and, and figure life out mm -hmm. in a kind of modern Buddhist way, you know, is very similar. It's just that Hermann Hesse is like this culture that I in, in innately trust more. It's yeah. like this German culture of logic and, and knowledge and history yeah. and not so much the culture of emotion and passion mm -hmm. that maybe comes from the other direction. <clears throat> and so I would always go with recommending that as a book for reading. Okay. Okay. You know, I would always recommend Hermann Hesse as a freaking Nobel Prize, uh, Nobel, Nobel Prize winner for literature, right? If, if Paulo Coelho wins this one day, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> the sun's going to go down and it's not going to come up again. And um, what was the other one? A book and? A uh, book and advice, whether travel related or maybe not travel related. Uh, 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 don't, don't travel with a partner. Okay. Travel by yourself. Okay. You're, you might, the, you're you might, the third person who's told me that. Yeah, you might. Oh, good. You might, yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> that's, that's like travel wisdom right there. Because you're open. It's, it's logic, yeah. right? Like if you travel with somebody, even not, it doesn't even have to be a romantic partner, even a, like a travel friend, you will then spend speaking to that person all day long yeah, in your language, yeah. in your language, where, where you're not going to go and sit in the, at, the, at the backpacker that you just camped out on in the, in the lobby and start hitting on the person that's talking, you know, sitting next to you mm -hmm. and having a conversation about whatever is happening. You're going to be talking to your friend because that's easy. Mm -hmm. You know, and yeah. so then you're not ex not forced to experience the wildness and the chaos that's out there and the opportunities that are out there. Mm -hmm. So travel by yourself. Pick up some travel friends for a week, for two yeah, weeks, yeah. for a month, whatever it is. But like, make these conscious steps to be on your own when you're going to places. Mm -hmm. And then when you're there, to reach out to people, be like, "Yo, let's go do this together." Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing? Is that interesting? Nah, I don't like that. I'm gonna do something else. To really take initiative. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, I'll. Uh, I'm taking that to heart. <laughs> I hope others do as well. And date a local person. Okay. If you're yeah, somewhere yeah. for a long period of time, yeah. you know, and I mean this with the most you're positive. You're saying check out the Finnish woman. <laughs> with the mo I say this with the most positive, beautiful expression of love. Yeah. yeah. Of sexuality, of spiritual, of human connection, that when that thing happens in a foreign country between foreign cultures, it is beautiful and mm. it, it, it produces an understanding and a learning of a culture that is unmatched. Mm. You just can't match it. And so it's a really magical thing. And so if there's an opportunity like that, that's why number three can't <laughs> be connected at home. Wait, say that again? You can't be connected at home okay, romantically. So when you're leaving, yeah, 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 you gotta yeah, yeah. leave. You can't be like, oh, I got this girl back home. Yeah. Or this guy. Yeah. Or this partner. Mm -hmm. Right? You gotta be unfettered, un, you know, unchained, and willing to experience and love and eat and taste everything yeah. that's out there. Well, it's, it's almost like uh, stacking two things that inherently bring so much growth relationships right, <laughs> like into right, relationships right, right, right. and travel it's like we developed language because of relationships <laughs> probably <laughs> very cool my dude uh, anything else you want to say share express before you share where everyone can grab a nice copy of this book um, dude thank you so much for having me I think this is fun 
I think we can probably do like three more of these. Totally can. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be on a wide we range do, of topics. We should do like a music um, exploration, like we said before. I'm super down with that. Yeah, I'm down with that. And um, no, I, I love the opportunity for coming and talking to you, man. Mm -hmm. It's super fun. I really enjoy it. I mean, writing this book was sort of a. Uh, there's like so much cliche that comes out when you do something like this, right? It's like a labor of love, and it's the hardest thing somebody ever did. <coughs> but it literally took like five years yeah. to put this together, and a lot of those five years were waiting for things to happen that I couldn't influence, where I would mm -hmm. be like, please read this book so I can publish it. With, with you saying that everything that's in that book mm -hmm. is good and that you're okay with this because I wanted everybody who's in this book to have an opportunity to say yo Peter I would really prefer if you take this out yeah that's only fair you know I would like you know I would really have appreciated if you didn't have this in there so all of these things just take a long time mm -hmm. to happen and so then it becomes this like never ending process of putting this thing together and so to actually finally have it out there and then for people like you to be like, dude, this is really, really good. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually enjoying this from a literary perspective, from the message that you're giving me. I'm enjoying it from the questions that you're having me ask, mm -hmm. the ideas that you're presenting. Like all of this together is just really, really like gratifying yeah. considering yeah. the amount of work that I put into it. And so to be allowed to come on your damn podcast and talk about it and have a great conversation about traveling in this sort of embarrassing function of an elder in the traveling community, <laughs> which is just like a total mind fuck to me. Um, you consider yourself an elder? No, because you, just because you come, not, not at all. It's like, no, I don't. But uh -huh. because you're like, hey, what is it like to travel? And oh, yeah, yeah. What, is yeah, it, yeah, what kind of intention should I have? Man, yeah. And I'm a 22-year-old, and what do you suggest? Mm. What would you tell a, your 20-year-old yeah, self? Yeah, yeah. For me, that's 26 years ago. Yeah what my 20-year-old self is, what yeah. would I suggest somebody read? And I did luckily have the privilege of somebody saying, here, go read Siddhartha mm -hmm. when I was 20, and not Paula Coelho. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is like all of this lucky coincidence and privilege that formed uh -huh. me into who I am. And so it's like so strange to me and enjoyable that people actually get a kick of this silly little adventure that I put together mm -hmm. and wrote about. And um, if anything, I just want to share my gratitude for everybody who's in this, everybody who's in this, who rode with me to Brazil, mm -hmm. who had this insane idea, who tolerated my, you know, my personality while they were on the trip, who helped me afterwards to write this. Because when I was af done with writing, like riding my bicycle, mm -hmm. I kind of boomed it a little bit. I would be go. I'd go to a friend of mine and be like, "Hey, can I kick it here for a month and just mm -hmm. stay on your couch and I'll tell you some adventure stories and cook you some food yeah. and I'm gonna write this book." And then an untold number of people were surprisingly happy to help me out. <laughs> you know, Esquilo, Robert Jan, you guys are amazing. And so <clears throat> this happened in so many instances, and all of these people have produced this. The people mm -hmm. that rode with me, the people tolerated me while I was writing it. Mm -hmm people like you who are like meeting me in a man's circle in Tucson now doing men's work and you're like this sounds crazy let's talk about yeah, it yeah. so all of these things together are just a huge honor and a dream for me mm -hmm. it's like 
I feel like life kind of prepared me for this. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these insane the things yeah. that I did, the molly I dropped in, in Tokyo and <laughs> and the gay bar I worked in in, in Hawaii and the orchids I did in in, in, yeah. in, you know, in Los Angeles and the Microsoft job and Japan and all these different things just all led to this book. And to sharing yourself and your gifts with other people. And it's yeah. just wonderful. And if you want to buy it, you have to go to this ridiculously unpronounceable name, peterilechko.com. <laughs> My friend... Uh, we can, I can, I can help you get cycleoflife.something. Put that in there. I, I think that might be worth doing. It deserves it for sure. Right. I mean, Cycle of Life is the most cheesy, obvious you know, um, um, name. And there's like so many gazillions of... Like if you go on Amazon and type in Cycle of Life, uh-huh. there's like literally tens of thousands of Okay, results. so maybe not the best one to search for. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is like... And the wonderful part about the modern world is the internet, you know, I, I didn't know what kind of a title to give to this mm-hmm. book. And I went on Facebook and I was like, yo, what do you guys think about a book name? And people had amazing ideas. Mm-hmm. And somebody had this idea and I was like, that's pretty cool. And my friend Beleza was like, nah, that's stupid, man. It's too cheesy. It's like too like, oh, he didn't say stupid. He's much more polite than I am. <laughs> um, but in the end, it actually, I feel like it. it is really the title that, brings this book personality mm-hmm. to life the best and describes it the best in particular because capoeira is played in a circle mm-hmm. and a cycle is two wheels which are circles mm-hmm. and so there's this constant um, reminder of the philosophy that I'm engaged in of mm-hmm. riding my bicycle to Brazil in the larger context of being in the capoeira community which is like this another podcast that we need to speak about and so <laughs> all of these things together, you know, it's just the, the result and the mm-hmm. product of all of this is, is this amazing freaking book that I got to write. Yeah. Well, it also represents, I think, at least for me, what comes to mind is this representation of the hero's journey, of going out on a journey, of going out on a trek, meeting right. all these unforeseen obstacles, coming right. back a changed person, and then be able to share that with the people. Yes, thank you. It just makes me feel like there's just an immediate, like, Central European feeling of, no, I'm not a hero. I'm just a normal person that did this thing. Well, that's true. Well, but you also got to step into the... I feel like... I'm not good at that. I'm f- not good at that. I feel like... It I feel makes like me feel uncomfortable to some extent. And maybe that's because when the Germans and the Austrians the last time followed a hero, some really, really nasty shit yeah. went down. yeah. And people were like, this hero thing is maybe not that cool. Maybe we don't need a grand leader to bring us to the promised land. And so anybody, like somebody like mm-hmm. Master Cogione, I'm suspicious of him. Mm-hmm. I'm not like immediately at the beginning. No, you talked Master about how you, you were trying to fed him. You're trying you are to my, talk to him more. Yeah. You know, I just, and I say this without all arrogance. I'm not saying, oh, I'm going to check out Master Cogione and what he is. Mm-hmm. I'm just naturally inclined towards thinking, you're a large personality that people have opinions about which are not necessarily based on fact because you're a large personality like mm-hmm. Brad Pitt everybody thinks Brad Pitt is a certain way it's all a fucking act yeah like every time he does an interview he's acting and you know we love Brad Pitt it's mm-hmm. all good but it's a product and we need to understand that when we're being fans of a person mm-hmm. like that so when I meet somebody like Master Cordial I need to be aware of this yeah. and understand what is the opinions that people and the public have of him, and what is the truth? But the, we and I want the, the same exact, for myself. Yeah, 
And so I'm sus that's where the suspicion of the hero personality comes but in. But the people with that awareness of what you just said are the people we need most to step into that role, I think. Right? Because right. That, is, that is a person stepping up on who they are, what they've done, their gifts, their flaws, their whole spectrum of a human being, and saying, this is me, this is what I've done, these are the lessons I've gleaned that hopefully may be able to benefit you, not in an arrogant way, but in a way where we can share and have a mutual love and understanding. I no, think that's like... beautiful, yeah. But it's the opposite of what humans want. You know, like, I mean, I love what you just said, but it's the opposite of what we desire in our leaders. When we look at our leaders, and in democracy we get the leaders we deserve, we usually look at these bombastic personalities that have, like, a large amount of... I'm, I'm losing the word now. Um, uh, sociopath, no, like being narcissism. like this, narcissism. Yeah. Like a large amount of narcissists, they just love their own shit so much mm -hmm. that they believe in themselves so much that they think, I'm a charlatan, but I can run this country. Yeah. I believe it myself so much. <laughs> and then everybody else starts believing it because in reality, if a person themselves doesn't believe it, the rest of humanity is never gonna True. believe it. So yeah, in a way, so in a way, this narcissism is actually a measure of leadership strength. An actual thing where you can say, this person has X amount of narcissism, that's how strong a leader they're gonna be. Mm -hmm. Now, if you put that hero personality in there with zero narcissism, hopefully, nobody's gonna go for that. Everybody gonna be like, well, burn that motherfucker on the <laughs> stake. Because we love that guy. And then it takes 2,000 years for everyone to catch up and you realize, oh shit, that guy had a special sauce. Yeah, right. <laughs> the simple living, the connection amongst people, the understanding. And I'm just talking out of my ass. Like, I would never actually presume, like, this is like me, my, my brain just firing randomly. Mm -hmm. You know, if we go start talking about neuroscience, we would actually think, of, start talking about how none of this thing is actually me. This is just a competing set of information points that I have accumulated in my brain that then spit out some kind of data point. And I would never sort of presume in my mind to be so wise mm -hmm. to actually say, yeah, if you act this way for a certain amount of time, then this is going to be the result. You know, that, yeah, yeah. You but, know, that but, just but, doesn't work. But I think with the key ingredient, and I see it in you, and for a long time I've had this, this feeling that what truly makes a person worth admiring, okay. one of the big things Washing. is humility. Mm. Just sheer humility, mm. the willingness to say, "Oh, I could be wrong," or this, like, I don't have the full picture. Let's have a larger discussion mm. around everything. Like, those are the people we need to step up. And I think when we don't step into that, out of fear of people judging that it's all ego-based or whatever, we're doing a service to ourselves and others. Because whether you think it or not, you stepped up to a certain plate and said, "The story is worth writing about," right. actually putting it out into the world and it's already had a positive influence. There's gonna be people who look at it and like, this motherfucker, <laughs> and they're not gonna like it no matter what you said. Right. Like, so it's, it's always that, that phenomenon of like, people love it, people hate it, right. but if you're you, right. you show up and just be you, and if you could share and s step into that. I mean, I, and I, I, I see your aversion to the word hero. Maybe that doesn't have to right. be your word, but right. uh, all I'm trying to say is, I'm glad you put this together. Thanks, man. I'm glad you're sharing it. Mm. You shouldn't be ashamed. <laughs> you shouldn't be ashamed to share it. Sort of thing. So, thank you, brother. All right, man.
appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Hell yeah, dude. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Till next time. Hello again. Thank you for listening to that conversation. I hope you got something out of it. As always, you can support the podcast by leaving a review, subscribing, hitting all the stars on whatever <laughs> on whatever app you listen to, and sharing on your social media. You can check out things I'm doing at everythingandall.com, as well as at everythingandallmusic on Instagram and the other social networks. Any links, reviews, things we talked about can be found in the show notes. I hope you have a great week. I hope you take care of yourself. I hope you say fuck you to all the things that take you away from that self. Peace. Between all the fallen and the pearls of this world, as she turns in a cloud. Oh.